The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. You do that every week. Every week. And Rich Preach. I believe you're indifferent on apples. That's what a what a what a great fruit that you're just letting go by the wayside. What is your fascination with apples? They're fantastic. It's the fall. It's the apple season, man. And we are live here on the flagship podcast. I'm Rich. He's Joe. Joe, what's happening? This is the last show of 2021. Wretched, this wretched podcast year. Is a oh God! Voices of Play it again. My bad classic <laughs> professional operation we have here uh hello yes you didn't hear that joe but it uh it replayed the beginning of the, the oh, you played the show open twice yeah you know what should have let it run twice you know let people really know what they're listening to right here but they're listening to the flagship podcast rich and joe You're yeah let's show 2021 final show and you you know what that means that means the next show is the first show of 2022 yes that yeah. means that in February of 2022, that's 10 years of Ugh. doing this show, sir. Ugh, you're right. You're right. You're right. 10 years. We're going to have to do something. Black tie affair type of thing. A decade of this show. Ugh. You have tried to quit this show many times. <laughs> Pretty recently, too. The people have tried to cancel me many times. Pretty recently, too. But this show will not die. Rich Krejci is going to do this show until he has his boat. You can't X out this Joe Lanza because he's not changing. And it'll be 10 years. And I'm just curious. uh, What do you want the show to be like for the next 10 years? Because, you know, we're going to hit that 20-year mark. 
right around the corner about 10 years from then. So um, do you anticipate doing this show to hit that 20-year mark? Do I anticipate doing this show when I'm 45 years old? Um, I guess. I mean, I don't see any reason why not, but I also don't I see go. any reason why. Like, it's it's one of those things that I'm like, I probably, yeah, but like, oh, God. Like, I, I will have found nothing else to do in my life that I'm still sitting talking to you for three hours every single week about professional wrestling. I don't know. It's, it depends. How, how bad is wrestling going to get? How bad? I mean, this we, we've probably reached the nadir here, right? Like, this is probably the lowest it's going to get. I can't imagine it could get much worse. <laughs> right? Like, I feel so if we survive this year, where, where many, many other podcasts have not, you know, many other wrestling podcasts have not survived this year. Wrestling companies haven't survived this year. Yeah, we're still here. So, you know what? Yeah, why not? Why not do it when I'm 45 years old? There you go. Full steam ahead. I thought I'd get a very different answer. No, you know what? Screw it. Why not? What else do I have to do? Honestly. There's too much money on the table now. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, financially, I don't really want to stop. So. It's a nice check once a month, i got to be honest. Those checks are kind of nice. Uh, yeah, they're not bad. Sponsorships flowing in, you know? So, uh, yeah, if for no other reason. But uh, 10 years it'll be. Just a couple months from now, so... I like to remind you of that because it usually uh, depresses you to some extent that is that this has gone on this long. But uh, see, I think you're full of shit. I think deep down you enjoy it. Uh, do I think you want to be here every week? Probably not. But deep down, I think you enjoy it. I think you've enjoyed the last 10 years of this stupid show. And uh, and I and I do think you'll be doing this show until you're 45. How about that? Absolutely, no, no, for sure. And I I I I never dislike recording the show. Like when we when we hit go live and we start and we record, that's the best part of it. The bad yeah. part is watching all the crummy wrestling, <laughs> watching yeah. all this crap, like having to follow the news, and then like we always talk about the dread of like the day of when you're just like. Eh. Yeah. podcast today and your whole day is like so revolves around it and you got to tell the wife now nah, we gotta you know we gotta eat dinner early because then i gotta do this show and then she's like all right you know and it, it just it, there's all that sort of stuff that comes into it but once we hit record once we hit go live it's good and then it's a whole lot of fun and i i, I love doing it from that standpoint it, it is it is the prep work that goes on it's a never-ending prep job like once the next flagship is done the new one starts like pretty much by Saturday or Sunday. The new one starts because it's like, OK, here's a bunch of wrestling shows. Here's things I got to watch. Here's news I got to keep up on. And that's probably the problem. The thing that grinds on you the most is that there isn't like it'd be nice just to say, hey, you know what? We're going away for a month. and We're coming back. like the old days when we would just like not do a show for a couple yeah. of weeks just because we didn't. You know, we're just like, ah, what are we going to talk about? Ah, nothing, whatever. And then we just didn't do a show. And then if we felt obligated to do a show, we would do a show can't do that anymore we're big time joe we don't have t- we don't have the opportunity to do that anymore so it is always like the entire week is always like getting ready for this show and like people think that it's dumb and we just hit record and and and, and jack around for three hours and we do but like we watch an ungodly amount of wrestling we follow an ungodly amount of wrestling we follow all the news we read everything we can possibly read you know we do all that sort of stuff that's the part that grinds on you more than anything more more so than actually sitting here and talking for three hours that's the easy part no this part's fun but you have to pay attention that's the problem like you got to pay attention all week, and you got to know what's going on. You can't come on here and uh, and not know what's going on. It's it's really hard to fake your way through this because people's people will see through that. They'll see through it if you're trying to fake your way through it. Um, you know, which is why a lot of times we'll leave off topics that people are like, "Well, why aren't you talking about that?" Well, I didn't have a chance to watch it, or I don't know what's going on, so we're not going to talk about it and fake our way through it. But 
but yeah, I mean, you know, um, actually doing the show is is the best part. But you're right. There's that dread the day of because it's just like, ah, you know, there goes there goes my night. I've and like you said, you got to plan your whole day around doing the show, and then uh, then we do the show and it wraps up around ten or eleven at night, and then I'm all like. My adrenaline's still. Oh pumping. yeah, I know. I don't go to bed until like one or two a.m. Usually on the on these types of days, and, and mind you, that's you know that's Joe Lange is just getting going at two a.m. But I wake up at six a.m. So me going to bed at two a.m. isn't ideal. But I'm, every time the show's done, I'm like hungry and I'm yes. thirsty, so I just eat like a thousand calories, and it's nothing good. I've never sit down with like an apple or a banana after the show. It's like a plate of chips, like or like I make like nachos or something like that, or I eat a fucking pop tart or um, <laughs> a hot pocket. It's never good food or just crappy leftover food. It's all, but I'm so hungry and I'm so thirsty after the show, and then I eat, and then I just stay up for like three more hours afterwards. I don't even sit down. I have all this like nervous energy. I'm like walking around. The yeah, house I walk the dogs every time after the show. I get it's... up and I walk, and they're like, I'm, "We're in bed. <laughs> like we don't want to walk." I'm like, "Come on, let's go. Let's walk." So we walk, especially in the cold. Like it, 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 it should calm me down, but it just you know it, the cold just makes me even more energized. It's yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. So. Then a lot of times, there's always at least one segment where I think I was terrible. So then I'll go back and, and listen to that segment over again. <laughs> yeah, that is psychopath behavior. but To see how terrible I was, right? But then, you know what happens is a lot of the times I'll put on the show to, uh, to see it. Because I, I always think like I got a fact wrong or I, or I was a, a stuttering idiot and I couldn't spit my words out properly. And I'm always like, I got, and in my head, I take a mental note. I'm like, I got to go back and listen to that segment to see how horrible I was. So I'll do that after the show. But a lot of times I'll put the show on after the show. And if you want to hear psychopath behavior, here's the psychopath behavior. Sometimes I'll put the show on and I'll be like, this show's so good. I'm just going to listen to the whole thing. Like, I, <laughs> like we really, we nailed it. We nailed I'm that like, Dragon Gate segment. <laughs> I'm like, wow, if I wasn't me, like I would listen to this show like every week. Like I would never miss this show. Like this show is so good. That even though I just recorded this show, and I know that everything that I just said on this show literally an hour ago, I'm going to listen. And sometimes I'll listen to the whole three-hour show again right after we record the three-hour show because I think the show is such a good show. Now, that's psychopath behavior. But I do that sometimes. you know. And then I realize, ah, oh, that segment wasn't as bad as I thought. It's never as bad as I thought. Like I always have this fear – that it, that I that one of the segments is like the worst segments of all time, and people are gonna mock me, and they're gonna mock us, and, and no one's ever gonna listen again. And then I listen back, and I'm like, "That's championship audio. Yeah. That's tremendous." And then, audio. then you listen to other wrestling podcasts, and they all stink, except for the ones on the oh. Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. All those are good, but every other one stinks. No, yeah, no, no most you know, ninety nine percent of them are fucking horrible. I mean. uh Rich, I was listening to. Want me to bury one? I can bury uh, one right now. Don't go by name. Don't go by name. So I was listening to the Wrestling Inc. podcast. The other day. <laughs> it was uh, they were doing their. Um, I mean, it's a, couple- the year's done after. So yeah, choose violence. Go ahead, knock yourself they, out. It was a couple weeks ago, actually, and it was a uh, one of their fr- Friday night shows, and they were reviewing SmackDown and Rampage. Mm. Okay, and uh, it was Glenn. Bold, what a bold take! What a bold thing to do is let's review the major shows and, and talk about them after the show. Yeah, it was Glenn Rubenstein. And it was Jimmy Corderas, oh. and it was uh, <laughs> and it was a lady named Christy. I don't have any other information for you, other than they said that she was a former WWE interview robot. So, Christy, okay, all right. I don't know who the hell she is. 
very nice looking woman, uh, very uh, telegenic, well-spoken. She knew her shit. So all I know is her name was Christy. I don't know anything else about her. So they're reviewing this SmackDown, and I had it on his background noise because I was doing some other work. And the SmackDown review was was very you know, pleasant, not offensive, just easy, breezy. They're going over the show. And I'm thinking to myself, even Jimmy Corderas, like, he he was coming across very well. Like, it was very unlike his Twitter persona where he's just very argumentative. and He's a takesman. Yeah, he's a takesman on Twitter. Real douchebag on Twitter, you know? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm enjoying some of his takes here. And Rubenstein was directing traffic. You know, he was like the host. Uh, quote, unquote, Christy. You know, she knew her shit. And they were going over the segments. Now, I thought it was a pretty lousy episode of SmackDown myself. And they weren't going very hard on it. But my whole thing was, all right, they're just – they're wrestling ink. They're doing a light little review here. They're not going to be like me and you. They're not going to have fangs out. And and for for what it was, I thought it wasn't bad, right? I'm like, I would never listen to this again, but this isn't bad. Like, they, you know – then they get to the Rampage portion of the review, Rich. And, oh, boy, did the claws come out at this point. You would have thought that three completely different individuals were now reviewing the Rampage show. Because they did this light, breezy review of SmackDown, okay, where they didn't criticize anything. And it was a pretty lousy episode of SmackDown. Like, they all are. SmackDown's terrible. And then they do this Rampage review, and you would have thought that this was the worst hour of television that you ever <laughs> that, you, that, that ever aired ever. And, and then I was like, oh, there's the Jimmy Corderas I know. There he is. Do you know which Rampage it was? It was the Hook debut. And Jimmy Corderas was the only person on earth who gave Hook a negative review. (laughs) It was unbelievable. He's like, you know, even the other two who ripped on the rest of the the Rampage show, even they were complimentary of Hook. And were like, oh, yeah, that was pretty fucking awesome. Like, that was that's how you debut somebody, you know, whatever. Christy was like, oh, yeah, you know, it looked like he's trained well. And Rubenstein was like, oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Corderas was the only person I've seen that buried the Hook debut. And he was saying things like, ah, well, you know, you know, this kid's green. You know, he, he, he obviously couldn't find the hard camera. He was busy playing to the live fans. He couldn't <laughs> find the hard camera. And, 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 you know, before we all crown him, you know, I'd like to see the kids sell a little bit. And, you know, it, 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 nothing but critiques out of Corderas. And, uh, also on this show, uh, and I found this one hilarious, and every week I, I meant to bring this up because this was about a month ago, and I keep forgetting. Um, do you know what the audacity of these three people? They had a long discussion because Adam Cole wrestled in the opener of that rampage, okay? And they had a long discussion centered around why Adam Cole has been a bust in AEW. Bust. I, shit, I shit you not. And they were acting like this was just a known fact. Like everybody, everybody agrees. We all know, we all agree that he's been a bust. Why now has he been a bust? Let's figure. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> yeah. Like Rubenstein kicks off the segment. They review the match. And then... I was at the. I went to the the dynamite and the rampage in Chicago. <laughs> CM Punk was on that show, and Adam Cole got the biggest pop of the entire night. But... Yeah. If you, <laughs> it was like if a month you, ago. If you listen to any live review of an AEW show, Adam Cole gets the biggest pop on every AEW show there is. Like, but, but Rubenstein, they review the, he, he goes over the match and then 
he like kicks it to the panel. He's like, all right, so we all know Adam Cole just has not worked out for me. <laughs> right. we, everyone's regretting that move. Cole, AEW, yeah. the fans, everyone's regretting. No, I'm stats that yeah. yes, exactly. And then we all and we all agree. We, we all the unify- <laughs> I love this idea that so it's just top, a known so a known thing. I've never heard anybody else say that, but yeah, that's that's incredible. So the topic at hand as he pitched it to them was So let's talk about this. Why is it just not working out? Why is Adam Cole such a bust in this company? Time for AEW Cup 8, honestly. And I'm watching this on YouTube on my TV, and I'm screaming (laughs) at the screen. There's people who can't hear me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You people cover this, okay? He's the most over person in every building. On the Dynamite, two days before this rampage, they brought out Adam Cole just so he can go into the ring and do his entrance and the boom thing that he does. And then he walked back and went to the commentary <laughs> table. He's bust, he's bust, so, bust material right there for sure. He's so over that they let him do his full entrance on a show that he didn't even wrestle on. And these three morons are having a full on segment trying to figure out why Adam Cole has been a bust in AEW. And I'm just like, this is our competition. And it's, I, I, they probably do more downloads than us. I don't know, but it's Wrestling Inc. Who knows? Rich, we should be millionaires. Do you understand this? We should be millionaires. This show is so good. And we are so good at this. And we're like, we're like two of a half a dozen people on earth who understand how to analyze wrestling. Do you realize that? This show is so good that I would rather listen to my own show that I recorded an hour ago in full because it, than listen to that. These, what the, these people don't know what they're talking about. And they're paid professionals to do this. And you, you go on a show for a major site and you talk about how Adam Cole is a bust in AEW. And then you talk about it in a, in a matter-of-fact way like it's just a fact. Like, ah, we all know that's not working out. Are these people insane? Rich, how are we not filthy rich? You're, you're right. Life's not fair, Joe. That's why we're how not. Because life is just this, not fair. Yeah. How do we get this show? And we've grown over the years. but how, We have year-over-year growth. But how do we get this show out to the masses? Because I feel like if people would, listen, it would just listen to our show once, they would have an epiphany and think to themselves, why the fuck am I listening to Glenn Rubenstein, Jimmy Corderas, and quote-unquote Christy. They don't know what they're talking about. Why am I listening to uh, – Rich doesn't want me to name anyone else, so I won't name anybody else. But why, like, they, they have to know that They're the all the same. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have to name them because every other one's pretty much exactly the same. So Yes. They're all terrible. They're all the shit. You know, that's what drives me. That's why we got to go forward 10 more years. Because – the more ears that get on this show, how how can you not listen to the over that trip? How 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 is that real analysis that's happening by people who are being paid to give it? I mean, what the fuck are you talking about? But it really was. It was like flipping a light switch. The SmackDown review, light, breezy, fun, having a chuckle. Right? Rampage comes on. We got to get to the bottom of this. Why does Adam Cole suck? Now? <laughs> yeah. Why why are they the disaster that has been Adam Cole in AEW? Yeah. How have they blown it with this man? It was like a 15-minute a topic on this show. And then Jimmy Corderas 
The only man on earth to bury the hook debut. Wants more hook selling, as we all we all agree as well. We need to see hook sell more, is what we That's want. That's what we need, absolutely. Yeah, 50 yeah. 50. We want hook to debut in a 50 50 match with you know Serpentico or whatever the fuck. Yeah, Rich, if he had only looked into the hard cast. Yeah, I know. I was hard. It was hard to believe that this guy uh, was any good because yeah, he he was looking at the live crowd and not the hard cam, which is just a a, a, a horrific offense that just ruins my my uh, my pro wrestling sensibilities. I just can't go forward with hook. So it's over. Hook is over. I asked one of our contributors, Jesse Collings, who occasionally does stuff for Wrestling Inc. as well. I'm like, how do you get me on this show? I need to be on oh, no. this show. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Please don't. I'm like, I'm going to go on the flagship and bury the shit out of this. And you got to get me on this panel with Rubenstein and quote-unquote Christy and Corderas. And it's like, well, Joe, burying it on the flagship is probably thing. not the best method. That's yeah. a bad start. Like, that's not going to help me <laughs> get you onto this show. But I want to get on to one of these dopey Wrestling Inc. or Fightful or something. I want to get on one of these shows with these people who just have no clue what they're doing. And I just want to have, like, a conversation with the – like, there has to be a voice of reason on these shows, right? There, there has to be. Like, uh, so I would, I would love to get on this uh, Wrestling Inc. show and, 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 uh, and pick their brains and, and, and see – uh, what is it that makes them think Adam Cole has been a complete bomb uh, since he got to A? I can't even wrap my head around. Right, and why they want Hook to go 50-50 with Serpentico as opposed to just beating people. So, Yeah, but uh, well, there you go. There was an unplanned topic. Yeah, well, and, and, and you know, how I, were we I, even talking about? Well, we were talking about how this podcast is 10 years old, and uh, mm. apparently we're going to go 10 more years afterwards as well. But uh, that actually brings us to what I wanted to start the show with, and the, the person uh, who unfortunately passed away just a couple days ago, the person that is most responsible, the number one person that is most responsible for this show existing, for the flagship existing, passed away. John Madden. And you're probably wondering, what? <laughs> Excuse me? What is former Oakland Raiders head coach, football commentator John Madden, what the hell does he have to do with Joe Lanza, Rich Krejci, and the flagship podcast? Well... If you don't know the origin story of this show and how Joe and I met and, and, and how Joe and I started talking about wrestling together was we met on Madden Mania, which was a Madden football game, sports video game website. It eventually became Virtual Sports Network, and I think it was a few other names as well, but it started out as Madden Mania. When I started was Madden Mania, I believe when you started was Madden Mania as well. Is that correct? Yes. So that's how we, 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 we first interacted with one another, and it was all sports video games, and that's what the, mo- the biggest part of that entire site was you know, doing online games, doing franchises, doing that sort of stuff. That's what it was all about, you know, uh, sliders, all this sort of stuff we'll, we'll get into a little bit as well, but like, it was all about the Madden video game, and that's the reason you were on there, that's the reason I was on there, that's the reason all these people were on here is because of the Madden football game. Now, the way that you and I eventually met and, and eventually started, you know, talking about wrestling is that there was a wrestling thread on that, that, you know, on the message board. It was one thread amongst a thousand other sports threads and all that sort of stuff, but it was a very small group of people that, that loved wrestling and wanted to talk about wrestling, despite the fact they were all in this, you know, sports video game website. So it was me, it was you, it was Larry, who I know is listening to this as well, uh, a few other people that, that were instrumental in this, this show even beginning and even starting. And you know, I always said those, the first people that listened to us, the five people that listened to us for like the first half a year or whatever, all those people were from there because that's this, this, this show started as like the wrestling podcast for virtual sports network or whatever, but we don't have to get in all the minutia of that. At the end of the day, all that happened was is, is you and I started talking about wrestling on that board. 
And then that kind of continued for, I don't know. I mean, I would say I was on that board for, I don't want to say a decade, but maybe. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to think of when I jumped on. I probably jumped on in 2003, 2004, and, and we obviously didn't start the flagship until uh, 2011. So, yeah, six, seven years or, or so of, of, of doing that. Uh, and that directly led to us starting this flagship podcast 10 years ago, and it's directly led to us where we are today. So in a weird, weird, weird way, if not for the Madden video game, I don't know that this show would ever exist. I don't know that I would have ever talked to you. There's other opportunities. Maybe you and I would have met on the you know Wrestling Observer board because I eventually became a Wrestling Observer subscriber. You're a Wrestling Observer subscriber. Maybe we would have met on there. But we wouldn't have had any reason really to cross paths that much on the board because there was a bunch of other people on the board, everyone else talking wrestling, all that sort of stuff. But really what, what I was going to say even more so than that is I don't know that I would still be a wrestling fan if not for you and Larry and all those other people at the Mad Mania uh, message board because I had fallen out of favor of WWE and you guys were saying, hey, watch this Ring of Honor stuff. Hey, watch this Japan stuff. Hey, watch this. You were instrumental in me watching Ring of Honor and me watching Japanese wrestling and me watching all this other stuff that that probably would not have happened and would have probably happened as in 2004 or whatever, 2005, I would have just stopped watching wrestling. I just would have stopped. And I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when I talked about Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is probably what saved my wrestling fandom because if Ring of Honor didn't exist and if you didn't tell me about Ring of Honor and Larry didn't tell me about Ring of Honor or whatever, I'm probably just going to stop watching wrestling. So I would have no reason to be on the Wrestling Observer message board. So yes, like the Madden video game and John Madden himself is the reason this show exists. I, I truly believe he is the most important person in this podcast existing. 100%. There's just no way we would have crossed paths otherwise. I agree. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have. Because uh, it was all because of that video game. Now, uh, you know, John Madden is, or was, uh, you know, a cultural icon. A true cultural icon. Uh, the likes of which coming out of sports, I mean, uh I don't think it's overstating it when you talk about other living sports figures. I think the only one in his class, I think it's Michael Jordan. And then I think that's the list. I, you know, uh, because when you look at John Madden and his career and his, and his sphere of influence is so enormous. He is not only the greatest pro football uh, color analyst of all time, and it's not even close. I don't even be- I don't even believe it's debatable. He's probably the greatest sports color analyst of all time. Uh, he was such a famous and important figure calling football games that he became famous outside of football uh, to the point he's one of the most instrumental people in television history because of that. And then you look at the video game. And at this point, the video game has been around for so long that really anyone under 50, right? Because the first game came out in 1989. The first console version of the game, I think, came out in 1990. 1990, yeah. 1988 is the first one. That's the DOS uh, one. But yeah, yeah, 1990 was the first John Madden football. So, I mean, you know, if if you're a (laughs) All you have to say is we don't say NFL 12. We say Madden 12. That, that's all you need to know about it still has his name. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It just is. Yeah, it's just Madden. He was period. on the cover for and the first 10 years of the game. There wasn't even a player if, on the cover. If you're a video game player under the age of 50, which isn't exactly young, you know, the Madden series is is instrumental to you as a as a video game player. And those video games helped cultivate multiple decades worth of NFL fans those 
Madden video games are partially responsible for the NFL having an absolute death grip on not just sports, but American culture. On Christmas, the Packers... I was about to point out, I was just about to point out the Christmas Day ratings, they obliterated the NBA. Yeah, the Packers and the Browns did 29 million viewers, and head-to-head, across the dial, the Suns and the Warriors... About a, as big a game as you Yeah, two of the best teams in the league. Uh, a potential Western Conference Finals matchup. Yeah, awesome game. Five million viewers. Yeah. I mean, just obliterated them. And I'm not crediting Madden 100% for that, but the video game has something to do with the explosive growth of the NFL over the same period. Because that video game created NFL fans. And what what's funny is when when uh, when I was a kid and John Madden was doing NFL games with Pat Summerall, um, my father would always remind me, you know, he was a great coach because I wasn't old enough to remember John Madden as a coach. And my father would always make it a point to remind me that John Madden was a coach of the great Oakland Raiders in the 70s. And now I have to make it a point to remind people who only know him from the video game that he was the greatest color analyst in the history of football. And he changed that genre. Right? And the video game has been out for... The video game is so old now that there's, like, adults who don't remember when the video game was good. Like, that video game used to be great. And it hasn't been great in, like, 15 years. It's been terrible. Panned by critics. Still sells a gajillion copies. And it's still hugely influential and all that. But the game has been out so long that there's people who don't even remember that the game used to be great. Because the game was great and ahead of its time. And the first realistic sim on consoles and everything else. And there's people who don't even remember that at this point. But this guy had three Hall of Fame careers. He was a Hall of Fame NFL coach. Rich, his record as an NFL coach was 103-32-7. He went to seven AFC championship games. He won a Super Bowl. And he only coached for, you know, 10 years. Yeah, retired on top, too. Just kind of one day was like, eh, I'm done with this. And left. <laughs> and bounced. Seven AFC championship games in 10 years. And a Super Bowl win. You know, he still has the highest winning percentage in the history of the National Football League among coaches that won 100 or more games. He won 75% of his games. So he's a Hall of Fame coach. Then he was the greatest television announcer of all time. He's a Hall of Famer in that regard. And then you'd have to put him in any video game Hall of Fame that exists. I don't know if any do. He's got to be first ballot with that. And then as a pitchman and a salesman and a television pitchman, he was all over television for 25 years. Tough Acton, Tin Acton, Outback Steakhouse. You go right down the line. Ace, I know he did Ace Hardware for sure. I remember. Yeah. So it's like uh, this guy had like three or four Hall of Fame worthy careers. and. Because of the video game, which is still in the, uh, at the top of pop culture consciousness to this day, after his death, he has remained a pop culture icon for five decades, for 50 years. This man has been a pop culture icon. 50 years. And he will remain one beyond his death because of the video game. It's remarkable. And he didn't play a single down in the NFL. Got injured in his first training camp. Didn't play it down in the NFL. 
And despite that, he's arguably, and I would put him at number one, the most influential person in the history of the NFL. And um, one of the most influential people in sports, period, in American sports. And as I said at the top, I don't, I put Michael Jordan on his level and no one else in terms of influence to both his sport and to culture as a whole in terms of people that have come from sports. I mean, um, and, and it can't be understated. He also changed the way football games were called on television. Mm-hmm. And and people even, and how they sounded too, which which go go over because there's there's some stuff that I wanted to dig into as well. But yeah, go go into like you know how they were presented first, and I'll, I'll tell you about the sound and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so when he retired from coaching in '78, the networks came after him, and he didn't want to do it, and he didn't want to do it because he hated the way announcers called football games. He said, "I don't want to do it. I hate it. I can't do that. It's not good." And his agent said, well, if you don't take the deal, they were offering him like some tryout games, four to six games that season or whatever it was. He's like, if you don't take the deal, they may not ask you ever again. So why don't you just try it? If you hate it, you don't have to do it anymore. If you like it, you know, and it, then you found something. They gave him $3,000 a game that first season, $3,000 a game and a four game contract, just a little tryout deal. And he said, well, he said, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And what he meant by that was before Madden, okay, when these guys called the games, they literally just told you what was happening. They didn't try to teach you anything. They didn't uh, get very granular with it. And he hated that. You know, he thought it was it was uh, surface level, vapid. But he wanted to teach the game. So he would explain why a play worked. He wouldn't mm-hmm. just tell you that it worked, right? But the but but the magic of John Madden is he was such an everyman and he was so relatable. And he was this big cartoonish looking figure, ugly as hell, overweight. Uh he's he didn't speak uh articulately. He talked like a guy sitting next to you, you know, on, on a bar stool. So he didn't talk over anybody's head. But he had this great balance where he was able to describe what was happening in an intelligent way without going over the viewer's head. And it, it, and there was an enthusiasm there, and it, it, it was totally unlike – now everybody calls the games like that because of him. And this cuts across all sports too, not just football. Because young, there's, there's some 25-year-old listening to us right now thinking, so what? Every color guy does that. Yeah, but they didn't. Right, they didn't They didn't before that. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the prior announcers were – one half was like just normal, like kind of television announcer guy, like your usual sportscaster announcer guy. And then a lot of times it would be an ex star. And like we see that a lot these days, but we see a lot of coaches now in the ranks uh, as far as announcers because people want that a little bit more detail. People want to know how the plays develop. People want to know why something worked and not just, you know, some vapid, you know, generic, like, yeah, here's what's happening. Here's, you know, and that's, that's mad. You know what I mean? And before it was like you weren't going to have some ugly, fat coach as your, 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 your next, you know, uh, announcer was going to be like, you know, here's the star quarterback from the old team, or here's like a star running back or whatever. And a lot of times those guys had nothing interesting to say, or they weren't very good at the job or whatever. And then they, they realized, and, and yeah, from that point forward, it was, you know, TV, sports on TV got a lot better, 
a lot better. I would say, you know, I'd say we've regressed a little bit in recent years, but there was a time when it was awesome, where every single broadcast was, was you know, normal sportscaster. Maybe it was an ex-athlete, but a lot of times it was an ex-coach, and they would dig into the details and dig into the minutiae and let you know why something worked. And and and, and that was across all boards. That was, that was across basketball, across baseball, across football. Yeah, it's all because of John Madden, 100% because of John Madden. He raised everybody's game, and he was so charismatic in the way that he did it uh, that he quickly, they quickly realized during that tryout that he was their best guy. And then they tried him out with Vin Scully, which a lot of people don't realize. This was CBS now. Mm-hmm. They tried him out with Vin Scully and Pat Summerall. Scully and Summerall were vying for that number one spot on CBS. And Summerall had been working with Tom Brookshire for a number of years. And, and uh, Scully, of course, is a legend in his own right. So Madden did games with both of those guys for those first couple of years. Uh, and Summerall won out. And when you think about it, it makes way too much sense because if you think about Vin Scully's play-by-play style, Vin Scully is an air filler. He always has these great anecdotes. Yeah, he's coloring. He's he's coloring the lines and, yeah, giving you a, you know, t- describing the clouds that are coming across the sky and stuff. So And these little facts about the players and uh, the background information. Vin Scully's a wordsmith. Right. And that's not a good pair with John Madden because John Madden is going to fill all that time in between the plays. Whereas think of Pat Summerall, an economy of words. He was uh, he got so much much out of so little. I mean, a typical Pat Summerall call would be he would just name the player. He would just say (laughs) he would just go Montana Rice first down. (laughs) That's it. That was his call. And then Madden would jump in and go, well, let's see what happened here. You see Rice, he runs a skinny post. And, uh, you know, Pat Terrell wasn't able to cover him because he just can't keep up with him. And then Madden fills in the gap. They were a much better pair chemistry-wise because of their styles. Where Vin Scully and John Madden, where a lot of people might be saying, wow, that would have been incredible. Yeah, nah, nah. Not so much because they both want to talk. And that's not taking anything away from Vin Scully. No, Vin's, that, Vin's best role was the role he had for 80 years or whatever, which Vin Scully by himself. You know what I mean? Yes. The baseball role that he had. Vin Scully calling Dodgers games by himself, sitting in the booth going, Kurt Gibson, uh, you know, by the way, if you don't know about Kurt Gibson, he's, uh, and then, you know, telling you about his 11-year-old Little League team or whatever. It's like, yeah, awesome. Great. Like, So when Kurt Gibson was 13, that's down and away for a ball. <laughs> right, yeah. he, 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 he did both jobs. He was so good. He was he, he could do yeah, both he, jobs yeah, by yeah, himself. Yeah, he was the best. He was incredible. So the Summerall Madden team was just perfect. And then from there, it just changed sports broadcasting forever. And they are the most iconic duo in all of sports broadcasting to this to this day. It's Summerall and Madden. They were the voice of my childhood in the fall. You know, everyone knows I'm a big NFL fan. So you'd wake up on Sunday and you'd have the early game where I was. It was usually the Jets because the Giants were usually the better team in those days. Because uh, I grew up with Parcells and Lawrence Taylor and Phil Simms and, and, and Harry Carson and, and Leonard Marshall and Gary Reasons and Phil McConkey and Joe Morris, those great Giants teams. And the Jets at that time, they were okay, but, you know, Ken O'Brien, Freeman McNeil, Al Toon, you know, that whole group. <laughs> they weren't that okay. They were pretty they were kind of bad. <laughs> they were bad later on, yeah, yeah. But it'd usually be the Jets at one o'clock, right? And you'd get them on NBC because that was the AFC channel. So you'd get like, you know, Don Cricky or Dick Enberg or somebody like that calling the game. 
And then the late window would come around four o'clock. And even if it wasn't, you know, if it was the Giants versus the Redskins at the time or the Cowboys or or uh, or the Eagles or the, you know, the, the Madden called a lot of Bears games. He'd call a lot of 49ers versus Rams, like when John Robinson was coaching the Rams and they were doing, you know, before they fell apart later in the 90s. And John Robinson, by the way, the great coach of USC and later the Rams grew up with John Madden. They were childhood friends. A lot of people don't know that either. They grew up together, uh, played sports together, and were lifelong friends. Okay, so Madden would always call the late game on CBS, and Madden and Summerall, they were they were like the soundtrack of my falls when I was a kid. And you knew when that late game would come on, and it was almost time, like, the weekend was ticking down. You know, when you heard Pat Summerall and John Madden, and at the end of the game, Pat Summerall would always say, stay tuned for 60 minutes and murder, she wrote. And you knew that game was about to end and it was getting dark out. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is ingrained in my head. The sound of the 60 minute stopwatch. Yeah. Pat Summerall, like, stay tuned for 60 minutes following this. <laughs> Followed by murder. She wrote, right? And yeah. except on the West Coast, right? Yeah, except except on, the on the West. I always, as a kid, I was always like, man, I don't understand why that is. And I'm sure my dad explained it to me, but I just never got it. I was like, but what do you mean, except on the West? Like, what do they show on the West Coast? And my dad, like, tried his best to explain what they were showing on the West Coast. But my, my little brain could not figure it out. And young Rich didn't grasp time. It, dude, honestly, my brain there. still barely figures it out. I was on the West Coast during that uh, the Dynamite Grand Slam, remember? And I'm telling you, like, yeah. Joe, I don't know when this show's on or when it's yeah, going to air yeah. or whatever. It's still confusing. Hell, it, it's, you know, it's been a point of contention for AEW fans as of late. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, and 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 that would that would indicate, well, shit, I got to go to school tomorrow. You know, the NFL day is over and and I got to go to school tomorrow, you know. And and uh, so then Madden, uh, he, he jumped to Monday Night Football in, in 2002 to work with Al Michaels. And listen, if if Summerall and Madden are the most iconic uh, commentary duo in the history of sports, you know, to me, and this might be controversial, I thought Madden and Michaels were the best. I thought they were the best they, because you had the best color man of all time with Madden and the best play-by-play man of all time with Al Michaels. And they worked together for a couple of years on Monday Night Football. Then NBC got back in the game with the Sunday Night Football package and that became the preeminent package. A lot of people might not remember. Monday Night Football used to be the top package. That changed in 2006 or whatever it was when NBC uh, picked up Monday Night Football and uh, Sunday Night Football. And that became the top package. And now Monday Night Football is kind of like the secondary package. And it was important to get Michaels and Madden to establish that Sunday Night Football is the big game yeah. now, not mm-hmm. Monday Night Football. So we have to get Madden. We have to get back. Same thing when Fox jumped in the game in 1994. Okay. Fox won the broadcast rights to the NFC. They outbid CBS who had covered, who had, who had the rights to the NFC games for 30, 35 years. Fox came in Rupert Murdoch with that. I think it was a $2.2 billion bid, which at the time was considered a massive overpay. What are they doing? They're nuts. And CBS said, we don't need the NFL that bad. Well, that turned out to be a mistake. And four years later, CBS outbid NBC for the uh, AFC package and got back into the NFL. Um, But Fox at the time was like a nothing network. Fox at the time, Rich, only had 50 affiliates in the United States. There were 209 markets in the U.S. And when Fox 
won the rights to the NFL. They only had affiliates in 50 out of the 209 markets in America. So, yeah, they spent billions of dollars on this map, but what did that mean? Every market had to get the NFL, yeah, or had to get Fox, had to get Fox because they wanted to have the NFL, yeah. Right, so uh, now Fox was in all 209 markets because they weren't going to, these markets weren't going to shut their fans out of the NFL. So, uh, and again, to establish themselves, what did they do? You had all these free agent announcers from CBS because CBS wasn't covering the NFL anymore, and they knew they had to get Madden. And there was a bidding war. Monday Night Football wanted Madden. NBC wanted Madden. But Fox knew they had to have him. So Murdoch overpaid him too. John Madden, that first year with Fox, and that first contract he had with Fox, was paid more than any player in the league. Mm -hmm. He was paid more than any player in the league. Yeah, That's how important John Madden was to Fox, establishing them as an NFL uh, entity. And I'm glad you bring up the Fox thing because this is exactly the point. I was talking about the sound of football and the sound of sports on television. So when when Fox gets it, and I forget the name of the the, the director, the sports director for Fox, uh, they talk about it. There's a 30 for 30 podcast about uh, John Madden. It's called Madden's Game. This came out a couple years ago, but that's obviously worth listening to right now. Um, and they talk about when when Fox got the NFL, they brought John Madden in, and he thinks they're just going to do like a production meeting in terms of like how you know how do you want me to commentate or whatever. And they said, John, how do you want our games to look and sound? And he's just like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, he's kind of taken aback. And they're like, well, we want, we want you to do, you know, tell us how you want it to do, how you want it to look, how you want it to sound and all that sort of stuff. And then they said, what we want to do though, more than anything is we want the football game on television to resemble your video game. The crashing of the pads, the, the sounds of the grunts, all that sort of stuff. We want that. We want the camera shots to look like they do in the video games. We want the sounds to sound like they do in the video games. We want to take over and make our, our broadcast look like the video game, not the opposite. And Madden's thinking, well, no, that's not how you do it. You you make the you know the video game look like the broadcast, so you guys do whatever. And this guy, this director, whoever it was, said, no, no, no. I think the video game's awesome, and I want our broadcast to look like the video game and sound like the video game. And that's when you start to get in, in this podcast. They, they listen. You listen to a, a CBS broadcast the year before it's on Fox. And you hear, you know, Pat Summerall and John Madden, they call the action. You can barely hear anything. You hear the yeah. announcers. You hear a little bit of stuff from the crowd, and that's it. And then they go, okay, this is the first round Fox. And it's, hi, oh, you know, the guy's doing the audibles. The, he hikes. You hear the crashing of the pads. You hear the grunts and everything like that. And, you, and that was field like they mics. said. Field yeah, mics. they said the field mics. And they said they went from, you know, CBS had, I don't know, like four or five field mics. And then Fox had like 400. You know, they just, the whole field was filled with mics. And they said, no, we want it to sound, because the video game, and you go back to the Sega Genesis, you know, almost to a comical degree, the Sega Genesis Madden games, you know, you hike and there's like, you know, it's the guys crushing and the sounds are awful. They sound terrible, but like, that's what they wanted. They wanted that noise in a sports broadcast. And, you know, that, 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 you know, this applies to wrestling. It applies to all broadcasts is that noise the noise of everything else, whether it be a wrestling ring or whether it be a, you know guys in the ring, whether it be announcers, whether it be crowds, all that sort of stuff, that's a big deal because, yeah, you listen on that podcast. You listen to what CBS was doing with the NFL, and they did a fine job, but like you realize, oh, my God, it's so quiet. And like the stuff that I'm used to hearing in a sports game, they just didn't, it wasn't that way. You could barely hear the crowd. You couldn't hear the guys. You couldn't hear all that sort of stuff. And now it's just second. You know, we, we know – we just know it as, as secondhand that we, we're going to hear every single crunch of, of a pad. We're going to hear every single dribble and squeak of a, of a basketball shoe or whatever. You're always going to get that. And, and that, that moment was that one where they bring in Madden and say, how do you guys do it on the video game? Because that's how we want to do it on our TV now. And that's huge. Yeah. And even when he was at CBS, when he had finally gained a little bit of clout, 
uh, when he had earned his spot and it was obvious that he was the best in the business and all that. Uh, he changed the way that they broadcast the games. He wanted them to pull the camera back. He's like, this camera's too tight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the viewer needs to be able to see all 22 players. We need to know what those defensive backs are doing. We need to know where the running backs are lined up because I can't teach the game. I can't describe the game if, if the camera is super tight. So he even changed the way that the NFL broadcasts the games in multiple ways. Every, his influence is so far and so deep. And a lot of people don't know this after he retired in 2009, you know, he didn't go home and, and fucking play golf. He was still involved in the game. He was on the competition committee. He was an advisor to the competition committee. Here's the other thing with Madden. He wasn't one of these old timers who didn't want things to change. He pushed for change and he pushed for it often. He recognized that the players were getting faster and bigger and stronger and that the game was changing and the strategies were changing. And he was at the forefront of a lot of rules changes. He was part of the safety committee until the day he died. A lot of these rules that everybody hates with all of the uh, safety stuff, he was at the forefront of that. Everyone thinks of him as this grunt who had the all Madden team and he liked tough players, but he was also on top of all of the safety issues. In the right, NFL right, right. And, and was front and center in the early nineties of saying, Hey, concussions are a serious thing. So if you have a concussion, you should really stop playing a football game. Cause it's not that important. Your brain's more important than a stupid football game. <laughs> Did you see that clip of Jim McMahon? Did you yeah, see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a clip of Jim McMahon in 1990, whatever it is. Yeah. He's on and, the Vikings. I forget what year he was on the Vikings, but yeah. And he's got a, he clearly has a concussion. He's fucking out of it. He's so out of it. He can, he's rolling his neck, trying so desperately to get back into his headspace, and he can't at all. But you know, and and this was way before CTE was in anyone's vocabulary. This was way before we knew anything about concussions. And you could hear John Madden on commentary and saying, "I believe," and he says this verbatim: "I believe if a player has a concussion, he shouldn't finish the game." He needs to come out of the game. That was unheard of at that time. You'd get laughed out of a room if you were on an NFL team or you were an NFL coach or you were an NFL player and you suggested that if you have a concussion, you shouldn't finish the game. They would literally just give you some smelling salts, kick you in the ass, and send you back in the game. And here you have the most uh, important and most influential voice in the sport saying the opposite. And maybe it's because he had that kind of clout at that time and he was such an important figure that he can get away with speaking his mind in that way. But he was on the forefront of that. And right till the day he died, he was on the, these uh, rules changes and safety committees trying to make the game as safe as you can. I don't think football can ever be safe, especially now with it as, as, as big and fast and strong as yeah, his players are. I agree. But, uh, but he was someone who always pushed for that, even going back 20, 25, 30 years. So he's not someone who had his feet stuck in cement either. And he's not someone whose influence stopped the day he coached, stopped the day he broadcasted, or stops with the video game. He was still instrumental in things you're seeing in the NFL today at 85 years old, sitting in his house in California. So this is what I'm saying. There's him, there's Michael Jordan, and that's the list. And that really is the truth, you know, and, and that video game, you know, cultivated and created fans of the, for the NFL for decades. And it taught people about football, you know, the infamous story when Trip Hawkins from EA met with him and, and Madden told him, he's, you know, at the time, the technology didn't allow for 11 on 11. And Madden told him, he said, if you can't get 22 players on the field, I don't want my name on the game. Our conversation is over. So they had to get back to work and figure out 
how to get 22 players on that field. And Madden said, you know, he figured the video game would be a great way to teach people football strategy and understand football plays. And Rich, I'm sure you'd agree with me. I learned a lot about football strategy from those games. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I'm a kid, I don't know what a zone defense is. I don't know what a cover two is. I don't know what any of these things are. But then you play Madden and you learn. And you understand the game. And those early Maddens, those playbooks are the Raider playbooks. Those are the Raiders 1970s playbooks. Yeah, they, they, they on that podcast, they they Tripp does tell the story that uh, they're – they're asking, "Hey, uh, John, do you have any ideas of some plays?" And he goes, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I got some ideas. I, you know, I'll send some. I'll send something over to you guys." So they open this package. It's just Raiders playbook. It's like Oakland Raiders playbook or Los Angeles Raiders. I forget what it was. Like 1974, and it's just like 400 pages. And he's like, "Oh, there you go." And they're like, "We don't know how to read this. We're like programmers." So he said yeah. they just sat down and said, "All right, let's fucking learn football then, I guess." Because he didn't give them any direction. He goes, "Ah, oh, these are good plays. You know, these are the ones I use. So figure out how to put these in the game." They have, you know, they're trying to read this scribble, and it's just like we're computer programmers in the '80s. Like we don't know football. Are you kidding? Yeah, those were the Raider playbooks in the game, <laughs> and 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 he didn't just take he didn't just take the money and slap his name on the box. Every year he worked with those guys to improve the game and to update the game with the modern NFL. Okay, and that's what set him apart from all these other guys who just took the money and slapped their name on the box of these games. Yeah. And that's why in the early days, the game was so great. Right. They'd have powwows for weeks where he'd play the game and say, this is stupid. That sucks. This is wrong. Change this. Uh, In that podcast, again, they have a, he's doing the voiceovers because obviously Madden would would do the commentary for the games as well. And it had to be, I mean, those things had to be like weeks because he'd read a line and go, no, that doesn't make any damn bit of sense. What do you guys say? They're like, all right, John, change it. Like, it's fine. You know, it's some dork at the end of the, at the other end of the window or the, you know, the other side of the window, just being like, John, I, whatever you want to say, man, it's fine. Cause you'd read a line and go, no, what are you, what are you guys trying to say with this? This doesn't make, I would never tell a guy to do this. That's not what you, and it's just like, all right, John, yeah, whatever, John, change it. Yeah. The, the plays had to be authentic or as authentic as they could be with the technology would allow, you know, yeah. of course you go back and play those games now, it, it, but at the time, like Madden '92 and Madden '93, I mean, on, on Sega Genesis, were, were rich. You couldn't pull me away from the fucking team. Oh, they were incredible. Yeah, they're very tough to and, to play now. Like I've gone back and tried to play like Madden '95, yeah. and, and they're they're almost unplayable these days. Uh, they're relics at this point. They're really hard to play. They're very hard to play. But yeah, at the time, like I would say Madden, it was probably '95 was the one that I I like. I mean, yeah. Jesus, yeah. I just played that one constantly. <laughs> like that game, but, but you I have wore to consider- that game out. The comparison point is like ten yard fight, and and shit like that. So it's like, oh yeah, garbage. Just absolute trash. The, the games were great, probably until around two thousand five. Yeah, other than Tecmo Super Bowl, Tecmo so. Super Bowl was the only one. But that's like not, you know, that's such that's, a gimmicky game, and so it's not a football game in the same well, sense that like a Madden ninety five is. And I'm, I'm not being blasphemous not, or whatever. Tecmo is fine. It's really fun, but it's a it's an arcade game that's a football game. You know what I mean? Like it look, does. Tecmo, it's not listen, a football game. Tecmo's great, and I play it to this day. It's arcade style. It's different. Madden wanted the game to teach people something and be as realistic as it could be for the, for its time. Mm-hmm. And there's that other famous anecdote where he was watching his grandkids play and they kept going for it on fourth down. And it annoyed him. And he went to the programmers the next year and he said, you know, my grandkids kept converting on fourth and 10, fourth and 20. We got to fix this. I don't care what you do. We got to make it to where that's hard to do. And he made them program in like a, like a, a penalizer, like, a, you know, a hidden penalizer in the programming where if you went for it on fourth and like 15 or whatever, from the other side of the 50, 
the game made it harder to complete a pass or to or to or to convert the first down. Right, and and in later games he would just berate you the entire time and be like, "I don't know what these guys are doing. This is a terrible call by the coach." Yeah. You're like, "Oh man!" And then yeah, you'd have like a good play, but then it'd get, you get sacked or whatever. You would learn pretty quickly. I shouldn't go for it on fourth, like. Yeah, and and he would sit in those meetings, and and they would add, you know, it, it would have been very easy just to keep those. Same, you go back and look at those old playbooks and those old Madden games, and they're the playbooks of the day. They're not playbooks. No one's using Pro Set today with split back <laughs> yes, formations, yeah. and and like near and far uh, halfback formations, and and but but the the playbooks evolved in the game the same way playbooks evolves in the real NFL because Madden demanded that. And that's why the games endured. And that's why they did so much better and survived and beat the Joe Montana footballs and the Tecmos and all these other games and became the preeminent brand of football. Now look, they've stunk for the last 15 years, but I don't play them. I can't really speak on it. I just know what everybody else says. Um, But it established itself as the brand because of, the attention and the effort that that Madden put into the game. And and if his name was going to be on it, it was going to represent pro football in the way that he wanted it to represent it. And as a result of those games being so good for so long, it really did cultivate generations of fans. And I do think it's a contributor to how popular the NFL is today. For I sure. think there's there's no question about it that th- that that game made fans, created fans, for the NFL and is still doing so today. You know, there's no question. And what about this? Do esports exist in their current form without Madden? I mean, that all started with Madden. Yeah, they, they might, but yeah, I, I was somebody who, who participated in a lot of the Madden tournaments. I, I would, anytime they were locally here, uh, the actual sponsored Madden tournaments, not, not, not counting also the, uh, under the table, you know, at a guy's house, putting in money in the pool. I, I did those as well, but, uh, yeah, the, the Madden Bowls or whatever they were called, or I, I forget what the, the, the touring one was, was called. The Madden Bowl was the one with the, um, I think the players, but uh, Man Challenge, Man Challenge players. is what the one was. Man yeah, Challenge. I used to. Yeah, we did those a bunch of different years, and yeah, some of my favorite memories were you know going to those and doing those. And I had a buddy once who made it to the final four, and it was like, holy crap! Like we're actually going to do this, and you know, we ended up losing or whatever. But we still to this day talk about that and the plays that he did and the the games that he had. Like we remember every single one of those games that we had, and and and, and yeah, like my summers and falls and win- I mean, this is that's all I would do with my friends. We'd go over and we'd play men and or we'd play NCAA, but that's the NCAA football games are a derivative of men. Those don't exist without yeah, yeah, men. I fucking I just played NCAA 14 this morning, Joe. This morning I played that yeah, game. The, the NCAA games, which also made millions and millions of dollars, were just used. They just used a Madden engine. It's the <laughs> right. same fucking game, you know. And you know my history with uh, with competitive Madden. I mean, Madden 2003. I was you know I was one of the best players in the world. I mean, I'm not making that. I mean, I was, you know. And then by 2005, I hated the game and I never played it again. But you know, I think, you know, that was a big part of kickstarting esports and all of that as well, because Madden was, uh, you know, in those the er, in the earliest days of online gaming, you know, Madden was one of the top uh, competitive online games. So there's that whole aspect to it, too. Yeah, well, it's the reason why I figured out how to get online and, and, and figure out how to play online video games was 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 because of Madden. <laughs> you know, that's 100 percent exactly why I did it is is for Madden. And yeah, we you know, those games really stand like the, that that era that we're talking about here. And I think the era that that most people probably think of is like the 2001 to 2005 is like my peak peak Madden. with with 03 probably being the peak of them all. 
Um, to me, that's one of the greatest football games ever created. Like, it's just, yeah. it's in a pantheon all to itself. 2004, that was the year, you know, Michael Vick comes in the that's league. That's the Vick cover. That, yeah, it, that, it, that one's tough because Vick is so good and, like, so impossible. And online, everybody knew that you could just use him to exploit the game. It started to get a little weird in 04. Uh, and then 05 is the hit stick. And I know you hate the hit stick. But um, 04, 03 was my personal peak. And that's when I was, you know, winning tournaments and all that shit. 04, it was starting. It, w- it wasn't great. 05, I remember buying it at midnight, bringing it home. <laughs> it's still good. You, you, you know, you're, 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 you're. I'm an ex- listen, but I was ahead of the curve. We got to admit. Yeah, no, you were. You um, were one year ahead of the curve because we all jumped on in 2006. Yeah. 2006, the QB cone. We all decided. All right, yeah. never mind. This this game actually yeah. sucks. But uh... yeah, 05, I, I I played it. I played two or three games that night, and uh, I, pr- I brought I, I brought the game. It wasn't I don't think it was GameStop. Was it Funko Land then, or was it GameStop? Uh, it probably I was. It might have been GameStop. By it, then. it was probably GameStop by then. Yeah. Whatever trade in uh, company, I remember bringing it the very next day. You traded in the next day. <laughs> next, and I and Rich, I haven't played since. Sixteen years later, I haven't picked up a joystick and played Madden since. I mean, I, I that that it turned me off that much, and you know how hardcore I was about that game. Yeah, that's so, hey, that's the reason we we know each it, other. So yeah, I said this isn't the same game. I can't play this anymore. That was that. I think I played NCAA a couple more years though, and uh, but Madden, I never picked it up again. I think I may have played a couple downs here or there on in store displays over the years, but I've never played like a full game of Madden since. And I'm a lot like John Madden. He had a panic attack on a flight in 1980, and he never flew again. Never flew again. Bust. Yeah. Took a bus everywhere. He said, if this plane lands and I'm alive, I'm never stepping foot on an airplane again. And he kept his word. He took trains for the first few years. And then, the ma- then as the story goes, they had to get him somewhere quickly. So the network rented him a tour bus, and it was Dolly Parton's tour bus. And he took that ride in the tour bus and said, I need one of these. No more trains. So then they got him a tour bus, and then that became the Madden Cruiser. And he took the Madden Cruiser you know, for the rest of his career. Never step foot on an airplane again. So crisscrossing across the country. And what they would do is because he – and because the – tech, you know, we're talking late 80s, okay? And the technology wasn't there yet. They had to get him his game notes because sometimes he would do a game in New York and then the next week he had to be in San Francisco or L.A. And you got to drive across the country on a bus. It's going to take you a couple days. So this is unbelievable. What they would do is – they would fax the game notes and his prep. They would prep his note. They would they would fax his prep notes to truck stops, and they would stop for gas. And then they would <laughs> like, yeah, they would fax him his game notes like behind the counter, like of the of the fucking convenience store in the truck stop. And then he would study his game notes on the way to the next city, like because you remember, there's no cell phones, there's no internet, there's no laptop, there's none of that shit. This is a guy who would just get on the bus after one game and drive cross country. And, you know, he had to study and understand that, like, people think that these announcers just show up at games and no, they have to do prep work before they do these games. They have to know who's on these teams. They have to know uh, the schemes that these teams are running. They have to, you know, the good ones do anyway. Uh, and, you know, he'd get his notes at truck stops via the fax machine, which I also found fascinating and just incredible how they would find a way to get things done with this ancient 1980s technology. Um, but yeah, never stepped foot on a plane after 1980. Um, 
elected to the Hall of Fame in 2006, which was way overdue. Ridiculous. He should have been in the Hall of Fame as a coach the day he was eligible. But, you know, it's this whole thing. Like, you know, during his coaching career, until he won that Super Bowl, despite the fact that he won 75% of his games and went to seven AFC championship games, he was considered a failure until he won the Super Bowl. Because you know how that shit goes. This, uh, you know, championship or bust mentality. But he did end up winning his one Super Bowl. Very innovative as a coach. He was an assistant coach under Don Coriel at San Diego State. Don Coriel is like the godfather of the modern vertical passing offense. Another guy who belongs in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Is he not? In the, he's not in the Hall of Fame? Can you believe that shit? Really? Don Coriel is not in the pro football. Like the man that, that basically every every offense from 1970 till today can thank him, and he's not. Okay. You're, you're watching his offensive schemes every Sunday to this day. He inv- he basically invented the vertical. Why do you think the Raiders with Ken Stabler did all that vertical passing? That came from John Madden coaching under Don Coriel. You know, so he learned from Don Coriel at San Diego State, and then he also studied Vince Lombardi. And what John Madden did with those old Raider teams is he combined the two. So he ran all those Vince Lombardi power sweeps with Mark Van Egan and, 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 and those great offensive linemen. You know, he had Art Shell and he had like three Hall of Fame offensive linemen on that team. Uh, Jim Otto at center and Art Shell and, and all these guys. So they ran the Vince Lombardi power sweeps and they had and he incorporated the Don Coriel downfield passing game. You know, with guys like Fred Bolitnikoff and and Dave Casper and and uh, you know Ken Stabler, obviously a quarterback who was an absolute you know gunslinger at that position, you know at that time, and it was this hybrid offense that nobody else was running. In those days, you either ran three yards in a cloud of dust, or you were Don Coriel with the Chargers and you had your vertical, but you didn't do both. Nobody did both. Madden said, "Why can't we do have the best of both worlds?" You know. And he was a defensive coach. He was the, he was a linebacker coach for the Raiders when he got promoted to head coach at the age of 32, which I think he was the youngest head coach in the history of the league until Sean McVay a couple years ago at the age of 30. I think Raheem Morris might have been might have been younger than Madden too when he took over the Bucks a few. But the point here is, you know, 32 years old head coach promoted from linebacker coach, and 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 the Raiders were a successful franchise, and Al Davis believed in them and promoted them, and it obviously worked out, you know. And then uh, Tom Flores took over from there, another Hall of Fame coach, you know, who worked under Madden. So he was an innovative coach on top of all of the people. That's the thing, like you know, and that's that gets forgotten that the guy was a Hall of Fame coach on top of everything else, um, you know, the understudy of Don Coriel and, and Vince Lombardi, and 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 you know. Uh, that other famous story where he went to a coaching seminar that Vince Lombardi was holding. And uh, it was an eight hour seminar, an eight hour coaching seminar by Vince Lombardi where he broke down one play for the entire eight hours, the green Bay Packer off tackle uh, power sweep eight hours. And Madden left that uh, seminar thinking, I don't know shit about football. I thought I knew about football. This man knows more about one play than I know about football. And he knew he had to get back to work and uh, if he wanted to be a better coach. And then that's when he, uh, you know, uh, decided I am going to use a lot of Lombardi's concepts when I become a head coach. And mixed him in with the Coriel stuff. And it was just, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, just a Hall of Famer on three or four different levels. Yeah. 
an absolute icon, an American icon. International in a lot of ways, too. I mean, that video game is international. You know, uh, and again, without John Madden, this show doesn't exist. And by the way, learn this today, and I'm sure you saw the tweet. On the same high school team as Nick Bockwinkle. How about that? Nick Bockwinkle. Oh, man. No, I did not know that. Thank you for getting it back to wrestling. There we go. He was on the same high school football team as Nick Bockwinkle. That's some good talkers. There's some all-time talkers on that football team, man. John Madden was the center and a defensive tackle, and Nick Bockwinkle was the fullback, and, and he played linebacker. Hell, yeah. The masters of the microphone on that high school football team. Incredible. To bring it back to wrestling. Two of the all-time great talkers. In, come their, in their fields yeah there you go all the way full circle <laughs> there it is but uh yeah so you can either thank or blame uh john madden for this show existing because yeah there's there's a very very good chance that i'm not watching wrestling and and you don't recommend ring of honor to me you don't recommend new japan to me and i just stop watching altogether uh if not for uh john madden's video games so yeah and you know he's the kind of and you know john madden is someone who i know it's illogical and i know it makes no sense I I thought he would like never die. He's one of those people where I saw the news yesterday and it really froze me in my tracks. I'm like, there's no way that John Madden is dead. That's not possible. John Madden cannot die. I know that doesn't sound. No, no, I I know it's the same. So what actually what ended up happening was is uh, uh, the nurse came up to me and said, "Look at this headline. This is ridiculous." And 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 she's just kind of like laughing about it. And it says John Madden dies unexpectedly at age eighty-five or whatever. Yeah, and, you don't die unexpectedly at age. <laughs> yeah, well, she shows me a picture, and she goes, "You know who this guy is?" And I go, "Yeah, I know who John Madden is or whatever." She goes, "Died unexpectedly. He's eighty-five and he's fat. <laughs> like, like that's not unexpected." And I said, but "For John," and Madden. I tried to explain to her exactly what you're saying. I was like, "For Madden, though, it's unexpected. Nobody ever expected this man to ever die." I was like, I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. He looks like he should have died a long time ago. He's overweight. He's 85 years old. 80, a lot of 85-year-olds die. <laughs> like the, it's, it's, it's never unexpected if you pass away when you're 85. But I was like, no, I'm telling you, that's not a ridiculous headline. It is unexpected that John Madden died, despite exactly what he looks like. And despite his age, I'm like, I'm telling you, I promise yeah. you, it is unexpected. I was taken aback. Joe was – anybody who knows this guy was taken aback because he's John Madden. Like, he's just – he's eternal. You just figure – he's eternal because his name's going to be eternal and his impact on, on, on sports and, and culture is eternal. So you just assume he's eternal. Yeah. He, he, he's, the, he's one of the only people where you'd say you died unexpectedly at 85. Years old. <laughs> right. It looked like that. It wasn't like, like a marathon runner. You know what I mean? He wasn't like the healthiest looking person in no. the world either. So yeah. And the... made no attempts to <laughs> No, no. He, one of his, he had a million famous quotes. We could do a whole show just on his quotes. But one of his quotes was, you know, people say that your body's a temple and you should only put things in your body that, you know, because your body's a temple. He's like, I view my body as a garage. I could just store whatever I want. <laughs> right. yeah. he, he didn't make no attempts, you know. And and the thing about it is he was still sharp as a tack. Like, he, like he, again, he was still involved with the league. And it's it's so surreal because he just had his new documentary, that Tom Rinaldi documentary. Yeah, I've not, I've not watched it yet, but I'm probably going to watch it tonight. It aired on Fox on Christmas. They re-aired it last night on FS1 after he died, and they're airing it tomorrow at 8 o'clock on Fox. And I believe ESPN Plus is streaming it as well now. Yeah, so that documentary, which just aired on Christmas, and Rich, it's haunting because the way the documentary is done, it's John Madden sitting in a chair 
in a, in a dark room and he's watching the documentary with you. Like every now and then they'll cut to him watching what you're watching on his screen in this dark room and people honoring him and talking about him. And he's got like this, this shit eating grin on his face. It's almost like this man is watching his life story unfold, you know, now that he passed and it's very sweet and haunting in a way because I didn't watch the documentary on Christmas. I blew it off. I'm like, oh, I'll get to it. And then when he passed, I'm like, I have to watch it tonight. And watching it after the fact with the way that it was shot, it's almost like he's watching his life unfold after his death. Yeah, like he can, now he and, can go peacefully. His life story has been yeah. told and now he can go. And all these people are saying these great things about him and they show him and he's smiling. And, and the, uh, the, 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 the final scene in the documentary is Lawrence Taylor. It opens with Lawrence Taylor and it closes with Lawrence Taylor. And it opens with Lawrence Taylor saying, you know, the NFL asked me to do things all the time. And, you know, my daughter tells me, hey, the NFL. And I'm like, go tell them to F themselves. I don't, oh, you want me to do something for John Madden? Tell me when and where. Yeah. Right. So that's how it opens. And then it closes with Lawrence Taylor. And with Lawrence Taylor saying, and you see Madden in his chair watching Lawrence Taylor. And Taylor says, John Madden made me a better football player because I didn't want to let John Madden down. I wanted to, you know, make the Madden team and and I wanted to make sure John Madden appreciated the way I played and John Madden made me a better player. Right. And then it fades off and we 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 the camera cuts to Madden sitting there in the chair and he's like he's got this big smile on his face and he's in reflective thought and he goes, you know, uh I realize now what I never realized. That's how it ends. Just a total maddenism. Yeah. Wow. Where it's just a, but, but it, but it makes so much sense. Like (laughs) typical Madden where he says something that's so poignant that you don't, it doesn't, you know, and what a great way to end that. And then watching that after he passed is like, it teared me up. It teared me up. You know, the, the documentary now almost acts like, like a postscript to the man's life and, and he got to watch it unfold. So. And I, I do know, and I, I think maybe, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if the uh, wrestling observer is out yet uh, for this week, but uh, I, I know that a lot of times uh, in my research, I've, I, I came across it, that uh, WWE tried to get him to uh, host WrestleMania or be a part of WrestleMania. So, I'm sure they did. I mean, yeah, I forget what years or what dates or all that sort of stuff, but I mean, at times he was one of the most famous people in America. I mean, there's no question about it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, that they would pursue him. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's John Madden. I mean, I, I can, Rich, we could do John Madden audio for three hours. Yeah. I, if, if it wasn't, yeah, if it wasn't Wrestle Kingdom week, I, I might just say, let's keep going. I mean, because we, it's like, you know, I try to do, I think we did a good job covering why he was so important and who he was, but it's like scratching the surface. You could just, there's so many different rabbit holes you can go down with, with John Madden, but hopefully some of the younger listeners and hopefully some of the foreign listeners who might not have the same 
you know, perspective and understand why this guy was as influential and vital as he was. I mean, I'm hoping we that we were able to give him a little bit of uh, context and history there because, um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, that's this is one of the biggest sports icons and cultural icons of all time that passed away yesterday. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports TV, sports production, and in turn, wrestling is all changed and, and influenced by him in, in, in some way, shape, or form. And uh, it's interesting enough that uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the news today that uh, Keith Mitchell, the uh, who's currently the director of uh, EW's television, is retiring yeah. after today. And that's a guy who started from world class, did WCW, did TNA, and now doing. Uh, AEW, so yeah, another a guy who I'm I'm positive in had to be influenced in some way by Madden and 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 the way Madden uh, approached uh, production of, of of sports and how the NFL approached production of sports. Like no doubt that yeah, he was influenced by him too. So yeah, that's uh, Keith Mitchell. That's a bigger story than people think. Yeah did did you know that that was happening until like literally an hour ago? Like I had no idea until they went live that that was. I, I did not. I didn't know until today. Yeah, so that's last last dynamite last show. This is it. Yeah, New Year's Smash or whatever they're calling this one is going to be the last one for him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a big deal. We'll, we'll probably talk about that maybe a little bit more next week uh, if if we have because that completely caught me by surprise. I was like, oh wow, I had no idea that uh, he was retiring. So um, probably a bigger role in in wrestling than we uh, like you said, give him a lot of credit for. So maybe next week we'll we'll, we'll touch on that. So I'll, I'll put in my notes for next week because we have a lot else. Uh, to get to uh, for this week. But uh, yeah, before we do that, before we get into some of the uh, stuff going on in WWE and, and, and WWE's day one, and then obviously uh, New Japan Wrestle Kingdom, which we are going to preview here in a little bit, uh, Joe, Patreon, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling, flagship patreon.com. A lot of really good content went up this week, a lot of really great content going up uh, in the next few weeks, uh, as well as we're rearing up for uh, the beginning of a new month and a new year, and uh, yeah, another year of, of that Patreon. Uh, a lot of stuff came up this week. Uh, what uh, were some highlights that you liked, and and, and what do you have? Uh, what do you have for us in the, in the, in the coming uh, weeks and months as well? Because I have a few things I wanted to uh, to plug through while we go through this. Oh, I mean, this was listen. This was your week. You got a ton of content on the uh, on the Patreon this week. So um, you put up a couple. Would you put one or two more CM Punk? Best yeah. In the world? So I finished the CM Punk Best in the World series. So I did uh, Punk versus Cena on Raw, Punk versus Undertaker. There'll be a ten episode series as well, going through great CM Punk matches through uh, Ring of Honor and through WWE uh, as well. And I went through the rest of that series. Episode ten went up uh, just a day ago. Uh, Punk versus Brock. So covered a ten different CM Punk matches. Ones that are very easy to find. The Ring of Honor sh- matches are all free on YouTube uh, the other ones are all on Peacock because they're all in WWE or whatever so going over you know those matches basically it was you know the, the idea of it was a lot of people when, a, when when Punk first went into AEW were like yeah he's a good talker and yeah, he's a good charisma but like what can he do in the ring is he that good of a wrestler and I was like no this guy's a really really good wrestler uh, and through this series it made me basically just realize like how good he was I had no idea uh, maybe I didn't quite you know give him enough credit for just how great of a wrestler he was but yeah it's a tremendous career uh, and tremendous, some tremendous matches that we watched there uh, and then ten part series, so that is uh, that concluded there. Uh, I am kicking off a new series on the uh, Tokyo Dome. It's going to be called the Big Egg Scrambler, thanks to uh, our friend Music of the Mat host Andrew Rich, who came up with that incredible idea uh, for the name of the show. So I have a bunch of Japan, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling January Fourth Tokyo Dome matches. I put them all into a randomizer and they spit out ten matches. Uh, and Joe, there is um, there's a Dennis Lane match. There's a Don Fry match. There's a Will Ospreay match. There's a lot of different stuff that we were going to cover uh, in that 10-part series. Right, right then and there, I said Will Ospreay, Dennis Lane, and Don Fry. That's what you have to come to expect. Those three names are going to be covered in the exact same series. So that, uh, that is starting up, uh, hopefully, in the next few days, the Big X Scrambler. 
Uh, and then uh, we uh, did it. We're going to do a 2022 prediction show. Uh, so there's still time to uh, submit your predictions there. Uh, again, at uh, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling or flagship patreon.com. However you want to get there. Uh, you can submit your predictions now. I'm going to read them on the air and I will give my uh, thoughts on my chances of that happening or whatnot. What we are going to do, what's always very fun, is we did a tw- uh, 2021 prediction show. So I'm going to read all the predictions uh, that were submitted in 2021 as well and see who was right uh, and who was so very, very wrong uh, as well. So that show will be coming up in the next few days as well. So a lot of really cool stuff uh, this week. Uh, also, when you fired up with The Nurse, if you want to hear uh, The Nurse and I uh, read DQ reviews. There's a local Dairy Queen by us that has some really weird <laughs> reviews. Uh, so we decided that we were going to read them. We were hunting for a Dairy Queen. We saw these reviews and said, you know what? We should record a podcast about this. So uh, that is up there. So if you want a half an hour of us uh, basically laughing and reading these very, very odd uh, Dairy Queen reviews, you can do that uh, at patreon.com slash voices of wrestling as well. Yeah, so as promised, I alluded to this last week. Uh, the match of the week this week was the two leather faces against Hiroshi Ono and Soji Nakamaki. This was the match where Corporal Kirshner went into business for himself. Did you end up watching the match? Or I have not watched it yet. I, I'm planning on doing it tomorrow, though. So I wanted your take on uh, whether Kirshner was uh, was out of line here or not. But that match is up. That's the match of the week. Uh, new match goes up every Monday, and then if you link... Well, you could discuss the match right there on the Patreon in the comments, but what most people do is link their account to our Discord, and we have a private room. There's actually three private rooms on our Discord. One is for subscribers only to discuss the match of the week, and that room is always jumping when I put the new match up. And uh, there's always some great discussions about the uh, about the the matches that go up behind the paywall. And then there's two other rooms. We've got our uh, our $5 subscriber room and then our $10 super fan subscriber room, which was for subscribers only on the discord. So um, cuts out a lot of the, you know, I think our Discord's pretty strong overall, but you know, the paid rooms obviously have a, a, a better filter than some of the public rooms. So uh, there are three private rooms there. If you're a subscriber and there's a room there specifically where you can discuss match of the week. And then of course, tomorrow there will be the Thursday TV reviews as usual to discuss the, uh, the, the final dynamite of 2021, which is happening as we speak, as we uh, as we do this live flagship. And then there will be another, um, I'm blanking, another uh, Intelligentsia coming this week. Oh, Intelligentsia the, back. There we uh, go. The, another Intelligentsia. The, uh, the topics um, are going to be the uh, my take on the Cody Rhodes victory over Sammy Guevara for the TNT title. And I'm going to rank all of the TNT uh, champions uh, in, in AEW history. And then the second topic of course is one that everybody seems to love. And that's me bashing wrestling media and going over <laughs> all, of their, all of their foibles over the last few weeks. So look for another intelligentsia coming at some point next week too. And of course, once the calendar turns to January, that's the best time to subscribe. For full value, always try to subscribe the first week of the month because then you uh, you get the full value of the entire month. So some of you will hear this show. Uh, once it's January, that's when you're going to want to subscribe. If you're someone who's listening to this show before January 1st and you're thinking about subscribing, don't subscribe on December 30th. Right. December we appreciate 30th. it, but don't do that because you're dumb. Don't do that, please. You're going to get double charged. It's like New Japan World. You're going to get double charged. Okay, because they're going to charge you again on the first. So I think Patreon warns you anyway, though. I think Patreon will say, are you sure you want to subscribe? Because we're going to charge you again tomorrow. But 
Um, at any rate, you're going to want to subscribe the first of the month mm-hmm. and take advantage of all the stuff behind the paywall. Uh, nobody who subscribes seems to be disappointed with the content back there. And that also means if you subscribe on the $10 tier, you can listen to the flagship live every week. So unedited and, uh, and uncut for uh, me to get myself canceled and Fritch to get himself uh, thrown in jail for committing mail felonies. <laughs> so if you want to hear all that uncut, the only way to do that is the $10 tier uh, to listen to the flagship live. So, Did you know, I, I got, uh, I got three letters uh, this week that weren't even re- even my old address, not even any, it was just the first four digits of my current address. And then a bunch of different, you know, like a bunch of different streets. Like, I don't know who this new mail person is that decided that, you know, four digits is enough for an address and not like an actual street name or whatever. So yeah, now I, I, I either have to do return to sender or I'm just going to, what I'm going to do tomorrow is probably just drive around and like put it in these people's mailboxes, I guess. I don't know what to do anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an epidemic. These, these letters that don't belong to me. I'm sick of it. Be careful, Rich. You're going to get yourself... Uh, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do with this? Like, you know? More felonies. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss here these days. So um, these things are very important to these letters that I've received. So I got to make sure to find a way to get them to the people. So Jeez. I'm worried. But uh, oh, and also on the Patreon, I should mention uh, Dan O'Brien Yes Movement. A new episode of that coming very, very soon as well. I have the notes all ready to go. I just have to sit down and record it, basically. So that's uh, our journey through Dan O'Brien's run. Uh, up through WrestleMania 30 as well, breaking some of the narratives that WWE likes to tell you about the Daniel Bryan run and how, oh, yeah, no, that was always the plan. We always wanted him to go to WrestleMania and win. And no, you didn't. Not really. So, um, yeah, that, that's been a lot of fun. That series has gotten rave reviews, and I'm excited to get back at it. So very, very soon we'll have that. But, uh, all right, let's get to some of these uh, topics. We'll go kind of quick with these um, so we can get some time for the Wrestle Kingdom uh, review or, or preview as well as the Final Gate uh, review. But uh, WWE, some news and notes from them. Uh, first one that came out today, uh, a bit of a surprise here, that Tony Storm is exiting uh, WWE. Sean Rossap of Fightful was the first to report that Tony Storm is no longer with WWE, which led to a lot of people saying, okay, what does is, is no longer with mean? Uh, later, Dave Meltzer confirmed that, the rele- that she was released, but said that she quits, not that she was fired or released. So... Um, that's as far as we know right now. I don't know if things have been updated or we know more from when we started recording this, but all that you need to know, Tony Storm, WWE, that is done. She has left. She is gone. Uh, she is no longer a, a rostered member of, of World Wrestling Entertainment. So that's kind of surprising given where she was in, in the, you know, she was being pushed and she was in, in, in a prominent role, but clearly uh, she thought that it was time for her to exit for one reason or another. Uh, we don't know the details on why she quit. Um, I disagree that she was being pushed, though. Um yeah, I mean, she was in a program with Charlotte, but, you know, I, I didn't see it as a push. First well, of all, I think the push might have been. I, I think there was, but I think it's probably done. I think when she was crying in the middle of the ring after getting beaten by Charlotte, one of many, many women to sit in the ring and cry after being uh, beaten by Charlotte, I kind of thought that was the end of it. And maybe she thought that was the end of it, too, and realized, wait a minute, that was it? Okay, I'm done. She's never going anywhere. They weren't going to ever do anything. Oh, no, I, I agree. I agree. The feud began with them throwing pies in each other's face. And it ended with her crying after she lost. That's not a push. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> To them it is. <laughs> to that company it is. You know, that, that that's like you're not being pushed in that instance. Goldberg got pushed when he won 120 uh, matches in a row in game. 174, Joe. Yeah. MJF is being pushed right now. I would call that a push. Uh, Hangman Page received the push. Getting pies thrown in your face. <laughs> Pukaki ankle. Losing most of your matches and then crying after you lose. That's not a push. 
you know? So if she left because she didn't feel like she was being booked well, she wasn't being booked well. And I agree with the decision. But again, we do this show live. It airs live. Uh, we don't know at this time why she left. It could be a family issue. It could be a, a million a million different things. So um, there's really no point speculating. But if she left because she wasn't happy with her spot, I totally understand. I mean, I, mean, I do see some people saying, well, you know, she was uh, – she was in a title program. Why would you leave? <laughs> it doesn't matter it if, doesn't you're gonna, if you're going to lose and then cry about it. That's not really like, yeah, it's not no, something I really invested you, in as a person. No, they're telling you all you need to know about what where they think of her and what her place is in the packing order. And it's just she's Charlotte's opponent of the month. And, and you know, she's she's never someone. It was very obvious by the way she was booked that they didn't see a ton in her. And, and, and the thing about Tony Storm. I don't think she's like a super worker, okay? But she does have an undeniable star charisma about her. And the problem is we never saw that on the main roster because she is like exhibit A in somebody who gets on Raw or SmackDown or comes to WWE and they just have the confidence beaten and sucked right out of them. And it was obvious in the way she carried herself. It was obvious in the way that she promoted. It was obvious in her work that the confidence was beaten out of her. Yeah. Because prior to this main roster run on the indies, okay, I assume with stardom, I didn't watch any of it myself, but she was pushed there. Even in NXT, like NXT and NXT UK, that Tony Storm confidence was there, where she comes out of the curtain and you're like, "That's a star." Oh yeah, she owns the room. She used to own the room for sure. Owns the room, especially when you would watch her live. You know, I, I saw her live a couple of times at WrestleMania weekends or whatnot, and she'd come out from the curtain and you're like, "That's a star." This is how a star carries themselves. This person hits different when they come out from behind the curtain, as opposed to indie wrestler you know, number 652 that we saw on the last match. She comes across like a star. Rich, I walked past her in a hallway in my hotel, and she was just, it, she just came across like a star. Not even in front of it. She was just, walk, we just walked past each other like ships in the night. And I'm like, oh, there's Tony Storm, and holy shit, she always comes across like a star. And on the main roster, on this run that she's been on here, none of that was there. It was like she was a different human being. And that's what happens to a lot of wrestlers. They get eaten up on the WWE main roster. And once you have the confidence beaten out of you, you cannot hide that from the audience. That's something you cannot hide. And it becomes obvious. And she just didn't have it. Her promos were a disaster. She didn't stand out in the ring anymore. She didn't stand out on her entrance. And a lot of that, I put that on the company. She was presented different. What was wrong with her presentation before? Why did they have to fuck with everybody's presentation? Everywhere she went. They're, they're a bad wrestling company and they don't know what they're doing. So, Rich, everywhere she went in her career prior to WWE main roster, she became a top star. Mm -hmm. Everywhere she went. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty easy template is a uh, charismatic woman, decent enough in the ring, owns a room, just, you know. Is confident. Keep understood. doing that. Just keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. And again, do I, 
Do I think she's Manami Toyota? I don't. No, no, she's certainly not. Was she good enough? Yes. Uh, the charisma, her charisma was was undeniable. I mean, that, I've seen that, her have yeah. good matches. I've seen her have good matches. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. I've seen her lay some eggs, but I've seen her have – her work was good enough with what you just said, with, with the level of confidence and the charisma that she had. But she, that on the main roster, it didn't exist. Those little changes in the appearance, stripping her the gimmick, it doesn't make sense. She got over everywhere with what she was doing. Multiple continents, multiple countries. Any every promotion she went to, she won the top title. Look it up. Pushed top commodity everywhere she went. They can't figure out a way to get her over. They decide the way to get her over is to do a bukkake angle. Where <laughs> bukkake that she cries, her. yeah, <laughs> bukkake yeah. and crying. Let's throw pies in her face and let's make her cry when she loses. Because it's an awful, awful company that has completely lost the plot. And this is why they can't make stars. This is why you draw 4,700 paid fans to Madison Square Garden. Because of shit like this. They've completely lost the plot. And I get it. It's Tony Storm. I didn't expect her to become The Rock. But you got to get more out of her than this. You have to. Everybody else that ever promoted her or booked her did. Why can't you? In your own company, they got more out of her. Like, it it happened in your own company. Yeah, you know, NXT and NXT UK both were able to figure, figure out a way, out a way to, to use her. her. Yeah. Yeah, and get something out of her. It's, it, it's so bad. And people never learn. People never learn. They still act shocked. And they're going to act shocked next time. And they're going to pretend that people are being pushed next time. Probably doing it right now. When it comes to someone else on the roster. Whether it's, uh, you know, Cora Jade. Or whether it's uh, You Only Live Once. They're doing it with them right Oh, now. Jesus. January 2nd. Get ready for that. That is going to be another strap in for that one. People uh, never learn. Of, yeah, yeah, only live once, and oh my god, I can't believe it. How do you not push a star like that? Because they fucking stink. They don't push anyone. <laughs> yeah, they suck. Because, again, their their idea of a push is pies to the face and crying after you lose. Oh, let it play out. Oh, they tell a story. Yeah, but the stories always stink, and they're always counterproductive. And that's why you draw 4,700 paid fans to your Christmas show at MSG the third lowest paid number since 1937. That's why. <laughs> Excuse me, Joe? What was that name? Uh, the number uh, you just threw out the, there? That's the third lowest paid number in MSG since 1937. 1937. Yeah, that's right. 1937, Rich. Because they throw pies in people's faces and make them cry when they lose. That was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the year of the Hindenburg disaster, right? You would be correct. <laughs> that's right. That's what we're dealing with here. <laughs> the Savior's the Hindenburg. Yeah. An apt analogy, the Hindenburg. <laughs> right. <laughs> A bloated gas filled. <laughs> but as we've been saying Device for years. That's on fire. And... But here's the thing. Yeah, Unfortunately, they don't get punished for it. No. They're bulletproof because of the television contracts. Golden Gate Bridge uh, officially opened in May of uh, 1937, by the way, as well. So. Yeah. Makes sense. 
So, Rich, 4,700 paid fans to Madison Square Garden. Amelia Earhart disappeared, 1937. Yeah. Yes. I don't think the NFL existed in I yes, don't think. In its formative years. Yeah, professional football in 1937 is definitely a, a, a very Your different game. Just... <laughs> uh, no one taking it seriously. Yeah, the guys a- on... American Football League, right? Yeah. Guys on the take, you know. Uh, the Los Angeles Bulldogs won that uh, season. They were 8-0, um, and beating out the Rochester Tigers, who were 3-3 were three and three with one tie. So. Well, you know, it was a hell of a season, 37. <laughs> yeah. Man. So there you go. Um, yeah, that, that number, uh, WWE ran Madison Square Garden. They do their annual post-Christmas show. Uh, distributed 6,838 tickets. That's per WrestleTix. Uh, out of the 11,231 that they put on sale. So they they distributed 61% of the tickets. But, uh, yeah, as you said there, the actual paid was a horrific, horrific number. They sold 4,700 tickets. They they only had 6,000 people in the building because they distributed, what, 6,300? And a lot of those people didn't show up because they're afraid of the COVID. So they had like 6,500 people in the building, 4,700 paid. And it's enough of an indictment that they only offered 11,000 tickets. This is Madison Square Garden. They used to put 20,000 plus in this building routinely. And we're to the point now, we talked about this in September, and it wasn't even this bad. When they lied up to, you know, whatever it was, 13,000. And that was ugly enough. Now they're at the point where they only offer 11,000 tickets in the building. It's pathetic. And it has nothing to do with the COVID restrictions. Rich, how many people were at the Nick game the, night, the day before? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm literally watching a Bulls game right now on the TV next to me, and it's completely full. I mean, it's... Oh, but that's Chicago and New York. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, let's do the apples <laughs> to apples. How many people were at the Nick game 24 hours before the WWE New York show. Knicks December 25th 2021 attendance. Let's see who was at to this uh New York Knickerbockers game. Uh 19812, 100% capacity for the game. So sell out the night before. So if you want to tell but, me New York the kids, the <laughs> kids. Children. So yeah, oh, we're going point by point, baby. Yeah. So if you want to tell me New Yorkers are scared of the Omicron or whatever the fuck did that happen overnight? Because the night, the day before, they weren't. Scared. Also, the tickets were on sale for like months prior. It's not like you know yes. they only sold tickets last week, and everyone's like, "Well, I mean, I was gonna maybe go to the show, but now, obviously, with COVID the way it is, I'm not gonna go." People weren't buying tickets before this massive, massive outbreak that we just found out about a couple weeks ago. But anyway, correct. Yes. And New York is not a walk-up town. New York is a get your ticket now because you might not get one town. Yeah, if I'm gonna go into town, I better know that I'm going into town ahead of time. Town. Right, because shit sells out. Okay, so you get your ticket when they go on sale. New York is – some towns are walk-up towns. New York is not a walk-up town. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know I've never once walked up to any non-Chicago White Sox Chicago sporting event. I always buy tickets ahead of time. Never once have been able to walk up to anything except for the White Sox. You can always walk up to the White Sox. So, so uh, telling, saying people are afraid of the Omicron, that, that doesn't fly. Rich brought it up a moment ago. Well, 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 well Rich, you know – MSG requires children to be vaccinated. Surely that had some effect. Rich, 
do minors enjoy attending NBA games? Um, I think that they do. Yes, actually, literally, as you mentioned, that they cut to a uh, uh, there's uh, the Bulls game, and there's a bunch of children by, who there who I believe are also required to be vaccinated as well in Chicago. But yeah, so 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 there are and th- this camera shot of this Bulls game did show some children at the game. So I think kids do enjoy the NBA occasionally. Kids go to NBA games is what we're getting. That's I, true. That's yes, fa- kids do attend NBA games. Sometimes. Remind me the percentage of the capacity of the Nick game the day before. Uh, 100. It was actually over 100. They actually got 100 more than capacity somehow. So that's, so that's they, standing room only for uh, for the Knicks Hawks. So literally standing room only a day before, same exact restrictions on children entering the Correct. Place, correct? Hmm. What else could it have been? Oh, oh, I know. It's a Christmas show. Oh, you goes, dummy. Of course. Yeah, Christmas. Who right. goes to WWE shows on Christmas? Rich, what'd they do in 2019? Uh, in 2019, the same show, 10,795. How about 2018? Uh, 2018, 13,032 uh, fans went to us. Uh, so more than like double paid both Correct. the last two times they yeah. were there. Okay. So it wasn't Christmas either that was the problem. Uh, yeah, because they, they run their post-Christmas show every single year there. So Right. And it's been going down slowly every year. They, they've run those Christmas shows at MSG for many years, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess that wasn't it either. Maybe it was sunny out. I don't know. Maybe it was. <laughs> too sunny. Maybe what? It was... I, I don't know. In in in, uh, in Chicago, it was very nice. Uh, so it was way too nice to go to a sporting maybe was... event at night. <laughs> Something. Maybe it was raining that night. Yeah. Maybe it was raining. It, it could have been snowing, too. I don't think it was. I think it was I think it was warm, but it could have snowed, too. Ice. Hey, was the, was the circus in town? Uh, I don't know. Fish was going to be in town, but they're not in town anymore, so. By the way, they had three straight sold out nights as well. Fish, so three sold out straight nights. Oh, you know the uh, the next day, the New York Jets drew over fifty thousand people to uh, <laughs> to their game at the Meadowlands. Yeah, same market uh, over the, and they have like two wins too. It's like a two win fucking <laughs> NFL team playing out the string in December. Uh, they put over fifty thousand mm. in uh, MetLife Stadium, a hop, skip, and a jump from the Garden. Uh, across the river there in New Jersey. So uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like New Yorkers are that scared of the Omicron, Rich. 50,000 of them packed in to watch a two-win jet team the next day. And they were over capacity in the same building the day before for the Knicks. So I don't know. But uh, if you go to the old Twitter.com, Rich, you'll hear all these excuses and more from, uh, from not just Twitter eggs, and not just the world's dumbest people, but we must discuss our friend Andrew Zarian, who tweeted out that one of his sources at Madison Square Garden did, in fact, blame the virus for the WWE's uh, lousy attendance. On uh... First of all, do you believe that there is an actual source who said that? That's my first question. No. I know you don't like to get in trouble bringing people. I, you know, you know, I love this stuff right now. Though. For sure, uh, I would source might be like guy. Like I don't know, like what level of source are we talking about? Is it like guy who sells popcorn or like the main like ticket office guy? You know what I mean? Like source could be anything. It's a very vague term. And it, I, I, by the way, if anybody, if a source quote unquote said that, then it's probably the guy selling popcorn or one of the ushers because that's a terrible, terrible thing because. Uh, Madison Square Garden, as you said, as we alluded to there, was selling out every other event left and right. Fish had three straight days. They unfortunately had to cancel that. Uh, Knicks, overcapacity Christmas Day. Uh, yeah, Madison Square Garden, before and after WWE was going to come to town, all had very, very much sold-out shows. If a legitimate source 
that works for Madison Square Garden truly believes that that's the reason that show didn't do well, and they have any power whatsoever, they don't. They should be fired. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's why I hope it's just a guy they, who sells popcorn. Yeah, they should be fired. Um, I can't believe that someone who understands the ticket business would really say that. Now, I, you know, who am I to doubt, Andrew? And I know every time I do this, people listen to the show and then they play tattletale and they, and they go and they get in the DMs and tell people that I was talking. You can go, do, go play tattletale all you want. That's fine by me. All I ask if you're going to play tattletale is to get what I said correct. Because last time, the little tattletale who's probably listening right now, you didn't get anything correct when you ran to Sean Ross Sapp and told him everything that I allegedly said on the podcast. Right. We had to talk. We had to have a heart-to-heart and say, no, this isn't what we actually said. And then it I resulted said, no, in, Sean, oh. Here's what I actually said. Here's the timestamp if you want to go listen to it. And then Sean Ross Sapp was like, oh, okay. That's not what I was told. Because Sean's little tattletale, who I'm sure is going to do the same thing this time. Get it. All I ask is get it right. I'm a big boy. I know if I talk about somebody on this show, a wrestler, someone else in a bit, that – I, Rich, what do I tell every person who does a podcast or writes for the site? What do I tell everyone? Yeah, assume everybody's listening. Assume anything you write and anything you say is going to be read or heard by the person you're saying it about. I tell everyone that. Anyone on the site will tell you that who does audio or writes. And I follow that rule too. I don't say anything on this show. I wouldn't say that to these people because I assume they're going to either hear it or be told about it. All I ask is if you're going to play little tattletale, little DM tattletale games, you get what I said correct. That's all I ask. Don't misquote me. That makes me upset. I don't care if you want to go play tattletale. Because if I say something on this show, I'll be accountable for it. I don't. I, that's fine. I've been doing this 10 years. You don't think I've dealt with this over the last decade? I don't give a shit. I say what I want. But at least get it right. I cannot take being misquoted. That drives me up the wall. That I can't take. But, I mean, look, if someone told Zarian that, that person's out of their fucking mind. And if they have any power in any capacity, they probably shouldn't hold that job. That's nuts, considering everything else is selling out in that building. None of these excuses fly for WWE. Here's why that show sold 4,700 tickets. Raw and SmackDown fucking stink. That's why that show sold 4,700 tickets. And I don't even want to hear that they're oversaturating the market. They didn't do well in Nork. They don't. They they have run the market a lot, but they haven't done well with any of the shows other than the pay per view. So that can't be the excuse. If all of those other shows did well and this one did poorly, then you could say they're oversaturating the market. But none of the shows in the area are doing well. They have blown New York because the shows stink. That's why. They did poor. They've done poorly in MSG twice in a row now, and they don't do well in Newark, and they don't do well in Long Island, in a brand new building where they got destroyed head to head by a company that's existed for ten minutes. It's not overexposure either. They haven't burned out the market. No one in the market gives a shit. That's the problem, because your shows stink, because you do bukkake pie face angles. That's why you can't sell tickets in New York which is a forecaster for everywhere else and has been historically. Houston will catch up, believe me. It starts in New York. This is not good. One show that is, thankfully for WWE, doing pretty well 
uh, attendance-wise. WWE's day one uh, show from State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, which um, uh, January 1st, obviously, with WWE day one. That's why it's called WWE day one. Uh, this is apparently a new thing that they're going to do every single year, so get used to this. These January 1st uh, major shows from WWE, and it's a, it's a pretty decent card, I, I would say. I mean, it definitely stands out. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar is your main event. Uh, probably the big needle mover there being, you know, Brock Lesnar obviously being there, uh, a big time match, two protected guys, two of your top, top guys. Uh, this is, this is a, a match that should sell an arena out and should sell, uh, or, or get a lot of eyeballs on, uh, on, on Peacock and, and get a lot of people watching this live. So we'll have to see, you know, when's, what ends up happening with that. But, uh, yeah, it's a, an interesting idea doing the show on, on, on January 1st, you know, the competition obviously being, you know, major college football, uh, competition being just it's you know New Year's Day and and there's a lot of other stuff going on but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the buzz is and 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 kind of what happens out of this show uh, and if it's something that I mean they they seem committed that this is a thing that they're going to do every single year from here on out and uh, I don't know I, it's a decent tradition if they, if they can make it work uh, I don't hate it but uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see how this 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 first one does yeah it's an interesting idea and that show the tickets are selling very well. I, I, that's going to sell out, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's on track. Let me see what Wrestle. T- I'll, I'll see what the latest in WrestleTix is, but okay, it's doing so well. It's while, doing well. While you're looking that up, the pay-per-views do great. Like, they can, they still sell a lot of tickets to their pay-per-views. But, and the television, it depends on the market. Same for the house shows. Some of the house shows do terrible. Um, some markets do better than others, especially with the uh, with the TV. But the, they, they, the pay-per-views, people still want tickets to these pay-per-views. Holy crap! So they uh, they're running a, a, a WWE Live Holiday Tour show tonight uh, in uh, Baltimore at the Royal Farms Arena. They distributed in this arena. They distributed four thousand eight hundred fifty tickets. Two thousand five hundred thirteen of those remain. It's awful, horrible. It's Good tonight. God, yes, it's terrible. And that's the other thing. They're running these basketball arenas, and they're selling like they're putting up like the four thousand in the Royal. I mean that that that. F- building the royal farms arena that is i don't know what that building is. yeah i think it's a bigger it's not a it's not a full-on major like um basketball arena but i want to say it's like a 14 or 15 let me let me double check uh exactly yeah they they have capacity at around 14 million or fourteen thousand for that one so uh they're selling four thousand yeah it says basketball for basketball it's 12 12 000 for basketball eleven thousand for indoor soccer arena football type stuff so all right, uh, so you do the, They had a boxing uh, match there in 2019 that got 14,686. Okay, but factor in the setup, take away about 2, 3,000 seats, right? Yeah. Like a, the, the, that so they should still be selling what? At least 8,000 tickets. Pro- yeah, you'd that. say conservatively cut out maybe half of those those seats, yeah. Somewhere and in the 7 selling, or 8, yeah. And they're selling 4,000 tickets right. and they've only sold 2,000 of them. Mm-hmm. And it's pathetic. I mean, what did you ever think you'd see the day where in Madison Square Garden they put ten? Oh, no, it's MSG, tickets. man! It's the house that Bruno built. Are you kidding? And they're only offering ten. The Worldwide tickets. Wrestling Federation. Are you fucking kidding? In Madison Square What's Garden. Happening? That's a tradition. That Christmas show. You know, and they sold forty-seven. Rich, nineteen thirty-seven. <laughs> the Hindenburg. The fucking Hindenburg. The Golden Gate Bridge didn't exist. The year prior to that show that we're talking about, the one that had the lowest attendance prior to this one, the fucking Golden Gate Bridge didn't exist. You couldn't get from one end of San Francisco to the other. You know, you had to get on a fucking boat because the bridge didn't exist. The iconic bridge of San Francisco. Do you you have the uh, list of shows in front of you? Uh, I don't have the list of shows in front of me. I I I can get them and let's see who headlined the other two shows. I want to know 
what the main events were for the two shows that sold less tickets than this MSG show uh, since 1937. Let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah, I don't have those in front of me, unfortunately. So I, I, I can grab it. Hold on. That would be the December... What's the new Observer? Where's the... Uh... Uh, I, I oh, can never is, figure out the Observer dates. <laughs> it know, ruins so my brain all the time. <laughs> so confusing. Let me get this list of uh, of MSG shows here. Well, do you want me to run down this WWE Day 1 card while you're doing that? Because I have, yeah, 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 I have no strong that. thoughts about pretty much any. I have strong thoughts about two of the matches, and then some. I, I most of the others we can just... Rifle through as quick as possible. I'll I'll run down the card real quick, and then we'll talk about the ones we actually have thoughts on. So, uh, WWE Raw Tag Team Titles, RK-Bro. One of them says bro. One of them does RKOs. It's RK-Bro. They're defending the titles against the Street Profits. Uh, Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss, who was uh, recently embarrassed uh, via eggnog, because that's hilarious. Uh, That happened on a recent episode of, of... World Wrestling Entertainment Television. Uh, WWE Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch defending against Ya Only Live Once, the velvet painting of a sad clown. Uh, Edge versus The Miz. We'll talk about that one a bit. That's the one I have some thoughts on. Uh, WWE SmackDown Tag Team Titles. The first time ever matchup, I'm assuming here. Uh, the Usos versus The New Day. Uh, I believe that has never happened before, so that'll be fun to watch. Uh, WWE Championship. Big E, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley. Fatal four-way. Uh, and then the main event, as we said, Universal Championship, Roman Reigns. Defending the title against Brock Lesnar. I can't believe they're doing Usos and New Day again. <laughs> They've done that before? I mean... You're sure? When? Even the most hard... <laughs> when? <WWE. laughs> Tell me when. Like, even your, even your like, uh, Roman Reigns, Liv Morgan, Avatar people, they have to be sick of that, right? They gotta be. Yeah, there, there's what? no there's no justification for like actually anticipating a new day Usos match other than just you're an idiot. <laughs> you're just a clown. Like there's no way. Come on. I remember loving the feud that they had in like 2017. Yeah, it was great. They've had great matches together. Great matches together. But come on. Like I thought Dave had this list in the Observer. But uh I can't find it. I think maybe he's putting it in this week's Observer. Maybe I misunderstood. Okay. Like the Observer that's coming out. Oh, I, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Because in the last week's Observer, the show hadn't even happened yet when he wrote about it. He said it's at 5750, which is really bad because the Christmas shows usually do 14,000, blah, blah. All right. So I guess this week he's going to list out. All of the MSG, the worst drawing MSG shows since 1937. All I know is it did 4,700 paid, and it's the third worst number since 1937. If we remember next week, or if we're still interested, because we might not even be interested in the topic anymore, I would like to look at the two shows that did worse and see what they were, like what what was on top. Yeah, it had to be some like brutal ass like Diesel versus you know somebody in 1995 or something like that. Even then, I think those shows were still doing pretty damn good too because it was fucking Madison Square Garden. You know, it's didn't didn't Gorgeous George come to MSG and bomb so badly he was never brought back? Mm, That could be one of them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know because I think Gorgeous George when he got hot, they brought him to New York. And it did not do well. The New York audience just, they weren't into the act, I guess. And I'm just remember, I, I could be misremembering this, but 
and I think you know, yeah, I'm trying to think of the most brutal times, but I guess even like the Diesel Run was still like doing pretty good in MSG because it's Madison Square Garden. That's that's what I mean. That's why you mean how it's so unique that this company it's just synonymous with that arena and that region. That it's just unheard of. Yeah, that we have to go to Gorgeous George to think hmm, what was maybe the worst time in this arena before. It was Gorgeous George. You know what I mean? Like that's ridiculous, unbelievable, utterly ridiculous. Um. Let me see. Well, you know what? Let's pull up every match Diesel had in uh, in Madison Square Garden. Why don't we do that? Yeah, that's the, that's the only one I can think of of a run that was like disastrously terrible for for WWE business. Would be the Diesel run, not the one that he yeah. won there, because the one he won I think was like a lot of people were there. So that uh, was, well, that was um, the November ninety four, November ninety four, yeah, yeah, uh, seventy three hundred. Okay. The, did they do a Christmas show that year? If they did, he didn't work it. Um, how about this? Let's this one. Let's check this one out here. Diesel and Shawn Michaels versus Men on a Mission on top. Oh my god! Um, eighty-eight hundred. <laughs> still got eight thousand. This is what we're saying. Well, it's MSG. It's WWE. It's World Wrestling. It's the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. They're going to watch, even if it's King Mabel and Sir Mo versus the the two dudes with the attitude on top. Keep in mind, this was considered like they might go out of business. <laughs> right. They're borrowing. Vince McMahon is borrowing his money from his own bank account to keep this business alive. Is is and it's smoking the numbers now. Right. There's actually Bret Hart versus Jean Pierre Lafitte on top. Oh, maybe the jacket was on the line. Yeah. Uh, how about Diesel versus Jeff Jarrett world title match, January '95? Ooh. Rich, this has to be the one. This has to be the <laughs> it one. Sounds pretty brutal. Diesel it get any worse versus good old Jeff Jarrett, and like not a big Jeff Jarrett run. It's also Jeff Jarrett who you know couldn't draw flies. Yada yada. What an insert Jim Cornette line here. Yeah, that's got to be the, the one. This is the depths. This is the doldrums. Yeah, of 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 the worst drawing champion they've ever had, Diesel. He won the title two months earlier. He's defending against Jeff Jarrett. Who's <laughs> at best an IC title contender? 7,500. What? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. No holds barred. Third from the top. Oh, I'm going to that one. I'd that's like why. to watch that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You had Bull Nakano versus Alundra Blaze. Nice undercard. The opener. <laughs> Aldo Montoya versus Stephen Dunn. Ooh, <laughs> I love I love WWF in nineteen ninety five. It's it's. I love awesome. a good prelim opener like that. With yeah, prelim guys. Stephen Dunn, well done <laughs> in singles action. Hey, Timothy Well was in action that night, Rich. Who did he uh, have the uh, pleasure of, of going up against? Duke the Dumpster. Jersey. Oh, gosh, that was a barn burner. And I don't I don't really understand this one with Dick Murdoch in his corner. What is that? Oh, th- yeah, they did bring him because because Murdoch was there. He would work the Royal Rumble that year and then go away immediately. But I have no idea why he's in Timothy Wells' corner, but uh, no, he was in Josie's corner. But uh, yeah, so did Murdoch do the whole loop when he? Did I the think Rumble? he did. I think he did. But he didn't wrestle. He he has no other matches other than the Rumble. Yeah, he's the only. It's only the Rumble. I have no idea. I have no clue. So they brought Dick Murdoch in for the whole because this is January sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. Mm-hmm. The rumble was probably like the twenty. Was he on the was he on the marquee? Were they trying to get extra tickets with Dick Murdoch in, in MSG? I don't know. So second match, you split up. Well done for singles act. 
That's how, that's how deep the roster was at this time. That well done had to do singles action. Yeah, Stephen Dunn is dropping an opener to Aldo Montoya. And Portuguese got... man of war, Aldo Montoya. That's right. And then you've got Duke the Dumpster Drossy against Timothy Well with Stephen Dunn in his corner. <laughs> but it's interesting that Timothy Well did not support Stephen Dunn in the opener. <laughs> no, he had to get ready for his match. He had he had the dumpster coming up, man. He had Duke the Dumpster Drossy. You got to, you know. He's probably watching tape. Yeah, he's got to study he's... up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to help you, man. But I got, I got, I got the, the garbage man coming up in a few minutes. So I got a tough opponent on my hands here. So he's gonna have Dick Murdoch in his corner, right? So did they really put Dick Murdoch on the road not to wrestle but to corner Duke the Dumpster Drozzi <laughs> in, in these so. matches? Yeah, we got to figure that out. That's incredible. This was this wouldn't have been televised. They weren't televising them in '95. No, no, no. They they finished by then. Which is a shame because I would love to see Duke the Dumpster Drosy with, uh, you know, yeah, coming out banging Redneck. on the trash can, and there's Dick Murdoch behind there's him. There's Captain Redneck in the corner, <laughs> right. less than a year away from his death, uh, cornering Duke the Dumpster because I think he died in '96. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, if you go back, if you watch that Leather Face, that double Leather Face match that we were just talking about, Dick Murdoch is at ringside because he was on that tour. And he's one of the guys who, when Kirshner goes overboard, like, breaks it up. Like, he comes at them with a chair to try to separate them. So, you know, he came – that was 94. So he comes from IWA Japan in 94, and he's doing a WWE house show loop, cornering Duke the Dumpster Josie in the lead-up to his appearance at the Royal Rumble. This is bizarre. I had no idea Dick Murdoch did the whole loop. Very strange. Do you think they were considering bringing him in? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because, I mean, Vince does put him over pretty good in the Royal Rumble, and he's not great in the Rumble. So maybe that was the time when he realized, ah, never mind. This guy's pretty old-looking and pretty uh, pretty haggard. And, yeah, maybe I don't need I don't need him that bad. I, I have Timothy Well. I don't need Duke Jorossi, So Or uh, uh, um, uh, Dick Murdoch. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it's very, very strange. But uh, that, so- that show's still, what, 8,000, you said? 88, uh, 7,500. Um, a month later, we come back. Brett oh, they're Hart- burning out the territory. They're burning out Madison Square Garden, Joe. Come uh, on. That's right. Oh, yeah, you can't run You it can't run much. Madison Square Garden twice in two months? Are you kidding? You can't run it monthly, even though they did for 40 years. <laughs> you can't do that. It was the basis of the entire company for 30 years. Yeah. Um, Bret Hart and the British Bulldog. Against Jerry Lawler and Owen Hart was your main event. Ugh. You had Diesel and Razor versus Jeff Jarrett and Shawn Michaels, third from the top. I'm going to call that the semi-main event, even though Hakushi and One Two Three Kid went on air. Oh, that's that. my main event, though. That sounds awesome. Screams buffer match, though, doesn't For it? For sure, yeah. So. In the World Wrestling Federation, that is a buffer match, yes. How about this opener? The Heavenly Bodies. Versus Techno Team 2000, yeah, Chad baby. Fortune, yeah. and Eric Watts. Anyway, this Chad show Fortune, reached... who I think we might be able to get on the show pretty soon, by the way. So I told you the story that my boss knows Chad Fortune, right? Yes. Yes. I said, would, do you think he would do a wrestling podcast? He's like, ah, sure. He'd love to. So, Well, that'll put butts on the <laughs> So get ready um, for the, the big Chad Fortune interview that we're going to do pretty soon. So. You're like, well, Joe, he's not going to do it now. You just buried him. Um. Anyway, that show did 15,000 fans. <laughs> 15,000? But they burned out the territory, Joe. They, did, they just ran last month. Are you kidding? There's no way. 15,000 in Madison, in Madison Square Garden? Unbelievable. Yeah, and then they put the title back on Bret Hart, and all of these have, like, 
15,000. Yeah, then, then we're good. Then 96. 96 on, we're, we're pretty good in MSG again. Because Diesel was just an absolute fucking disaster. Just a train wreck. Um, yeah, all these Diesel... Well, no, here here you go. Here's 7,000 for Undertaker, Bret Hart. Yeah, so even at the depths of 1995, you can't find lower than uh, the 6,700 announced for the show the other night. Um. Not good. No, that's uh, it's a great way to put it. Uh, WWE Day One also uh, not looking great. Uh, a bunch of the matches I, I don't really care about whatsoever. Uh, Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. Uh, get get the Twitter machine ready on Tuesday or on uh, on uh, on January second because a lot of people are going to be big mad when uh, when Liv Morgan loses to Becky Lynch. Well, even so. if she wins, it doesn't mean anything. No. Like that's the thing. Well, like, then we'll, we'll do that. We'll do the exact same cycle that we always do. Though. Oh my God, she deserves it. Oh, they just created a star. Yada yada yada. And then she'll lose. And then you know, she's not winning though. She's losing this match for sure, right? I don't know. Is that what you think? Is that the? Feeling I think you have so. I, the feeling I have is yeah that she's losing. But who knows? I guess. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, who cares? It, it doesn't. That's we'll we'll do was... the thing where everybody tricks themselves and all the dumb idiots say, "Oh my God, what a star-making performance!" They they have the next generational star in this company, and then you know, three months later, she's not doing anything, and we'll we'll do the, the that whole... TV match wasn't any good. No, no. I mean, I wouldn't. Would you give her the? I I'd stick with Becky Lynch for now. If that match is any indication, the ratings are any indication. I don't well, think. Well, Rich, I'm... if if you're putting me in charge, Becky Lynch number one is a babyface. That first of all. That, <laughs> well, that's... we're going to talk about babyface and heel dynamics in this company in a moment here, because uh, I got a match that I do not understand. John, I need you to try to explain who is the babyface and who is the heel in this case. So, so the first thing I'm doing is Becky Lynch, since the fans desperately want to like her, she's a babyface. That's the first thing I'm doing, and I have no idea why they insist on <laughs> making her a heel. And fighting the crowd. Why Why are they doing that? Um, that's number one. Number two, if I want to push you only live once, um, you know, I probably would have given her a bunch of TV wins, uh, you know, for a couple months to set this up. But, but the thing is, this match would never even be happening because Becky Lynch would be a babyface in my world. She wouldn't be a heel. And nobody wants to be a heel. What's your other match with the mixed up dynamic? Yeah, so okay, so on on, on this week's uh, World Wrestling Entertainment Monday Night Raw uh, program on uh, Monday, uh, the Miz uh, decided that he and his uh, beautiful wife Maurice were going to uh, re- renew their wedding vows. Fantastic, you know, it's a great idea. It's you know, it's been a while. I want to re, you know, I want to profess my love to to this beautiful bride that I have. And so uh, the Miz and Maurice, you know, both looking dapper as always, are in the ring. You know, renewing their wedding vows, talking about how much they love one another and the beautiful children they brought into the world and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then Edge uh, comes out. The Edge comes out, and he uh, he douses them in black blood thing. It's a brood. He gave them a brood bath, as we all know. The famous WWE brood baths. That we, not a blood bath, Joe. A brood bath. Um, yep. So, yeah, he really got us. And I'm very, very, very much looking forward to on WWE Day 1 uh, streaming on Peacock. I'm very much looking forward to The Miz getting his revenge. Uh, against the Dashley Heel Edge for uh, spraying him with uh, blood or brood or whatever the hell it was. Uh, just wa- in, while he was just trying to renew his wedding vows with his, his beautiful wife uh, on Monday Night Raw. So can't wait to see how that uh, unfolds. So, Well, as you know, Vince McMahon thinks that uh, being in love with your wife is a heel trait. <laughs> oh. He has always felt that way. So, um, you know. It's so that's... weird. It's like, and that was the go-home angle was like, the Miz getting doused in blood or whatever, and Edge laughing, and we're like, "Oh yeah, well, 
serves the Miz right for renewing his wedding vows or something. I guess, yeah. Excuse me? Like, why, why is that a... Okay, all right. Like, I guess we're supposed to think, oh, this asshole and his... He, this guy's an idiot and he's got a way more beautiful wife than he deserves. I'm mad at him and I want him to lose. But like, yeah, why am I so... Here, that's the I, thing. I don't know why I'm upset at the Miz. Yeah, what's the heat here? Why am I mad that he's renewing his vows? I don't, I don't understand why, why I'm mad at that. Um, The segment did numbers, though. Anything- it did. A wedding segment, dude. A wedding yes. segment plus boobs equal ratings. And they went with both here. They said, Maurice, <laughs> you got boobs. We're going to have a wedding segment. And she said, okay. And they said, let's get some ratings. And they did. Because they always do. You can go all the way back to Uncle Elmer's shoot wedding <laughs> on Saturday night's main right. event. Yeah. They always do numbers, no matter what. So, one of my favorite wedding segments was in Impact, or it might have been TNA at the time. Remember the wedding segment where Taz revealed he was part of Aces and Eights? <laughs> Did he do that in a wedding segment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that, was that when... um. Was that when Bully and uh, who was getting married then? Because they did so. I mean, TNA. They Brooke Hogan and Bully Ray. It was that. That was it. Was that wedding, right? Yeah, and, and uh, Taz revealed the aces and eights vest. That TNA had like hundreds of weddings. They so much, and it worked every time too. So credit People to them. Love the but weddings, it, you know, it worked every time. The Brooke Hogan Bully Ray wedding, incredible. Aces and eights. Uh, all right, so that's uh, yeah. I can't wait to see the Miz get his revenge. Um, Biggie's definitely losing this title, right? Um, Fatal four way, a great way to have, you know, somebody pin somebody like Biggie's not getting pinned, but he's losing this title. Is he the least over champ raw has had in God knows how, like no one cares. About no, Biggie no, here. it's a complete non-factor. I, I was right about that at the end of the day. Correct. Of like, course we I were. Yeah. Crazy, I mean, of course we were about how awful that title reign, how awful with that awful start it got off to. Oh, yeah. In hindsight, it's and, ridiculous. Yeah. In hindsight, it's so ridiculous to hear what people were saying about it when when all that smart people were saying was like, why don't you build this guy up for a little bit? Why don't you, you know, have him win a bunch of matches? Why don't the best thing they could have done for Biggie is have him go out with that briefcase and say, OK, at the Royal Rumble, I'm challenging the, the world champion or at WrestleMania. I'm challenging the world champion. And then all he does for a month, two months, three months is beat people. And you keep going, man, that dude's going for that title. And whoever is the champion, the wave of momentum that Big E has right now, there's no way they're, they're going to beat him. And then what happens is the match comes, and like you assume Big E's going to win, and then Big E just wins because he's been beating everybody, and you go, oh, wow. Well, they did the smart thing. They went with Big E. He's ready to go. Instead of 24 hours on Twitter, he says, I want to challenge for the title. Then on Monday, he challenges the title, and he wins it. And, and nobody cared. At, uh, uh, 24 hours later, and we're now, what, a month or two? And that was in September. That was in September. Listen, listen, Nobody Rich, remembers this anymore. You were on one of your lavish vacations that week, but I did you a solid, man. I channeled your spirit, and I buried the fuck out of that. And I, and I said exactly how what would happen and how it would play out. And that's exactly how it's played out. And his title reign has done record low ratings. How is that possible? Everybody wanted this. Everybody wanted this. There's no such thing, and, and this is so rare in wrestling, there's no such thing as like b- people who hate Biggie. They don't exist. Everyone wants the best for this guy. Everybody wanted this guy to eventually win this title. And everybody recognizes and, how good he is too and how talented he is. Yeah. And and they found a way to make sure that he had the limpest just weakest you know because they they told you every week that he's an afterthought. That he's a secondary champion. That 
Roman Reigns is the real champ and the person you should care about. And this happens from time to time with the double titles. Sometimes both guys feel strong, but sometimes it's very clear that one guy's the real champ. And that's what happened here. And they found a way. And everything you described is what I said on the show that week on that solo show. He was doomed from the start because of the way he won the title. And how did it play out? Record low ratings during his title reign. One of the worst title reigns they've had in a long time. And they've had some bad ones. This one was bad. And, you know, they didn't even, because you know why? They, they never really wanted to be behind him. They didn't put honest effort into this. No, they, cre- they created a moment. They didn't create a star, as they always do. Exactly. They created that a Monday night is- moment and instead of creating a star. Instead of doing something that would have taken three, four months of, of, of careful planning and careful you know, ideas. And, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get to this guy at this point. We're going to have him beat this guy at this show, yada, yada. Instead, they just created a moment for Monday to get a bunch of social media buzz for 24 hours. And then it all went away. And now it's just completely Well, irrelevant. they wanted to pop a number. Yeah. They did it to pop a quarter hour. Mm-hmm. And you can't rebottle that. Nope. You can't give Big E his first world title win again. And you weren't around that weekend. And, but it's like I felt like I was an insane person because I was the only person seeing how this was such a bad way to, to, to do this. Where the rest of the world was tripping over themselves to say how great this was and it's about time. Oh, what a title win. And I'm like, am I the only sane voice in the universe? You know? And that's when I had my epiphany with a lot of wrestling media. They're just, they're afraid to upset the WWE hardcore base, the stands. They're afraid to upset those people. So telling the truth about how terrible this Big E title win was and how poorly they were booking him would, would upset those. And then, you know, that affects your clicks and your downloads and everything. And that really opened my eyes to, you know, what, you know, you kind of knew what was going on with a lot of these sites, but that really hammered it home. And what has the end result been? Like you're saying, he may lose the title here on this pay-per-view. Good chance of that. And this is going to go down. We just talked about Diesel. This is right down there with the Diesel. Yeah, run. it's been awful. It's been awful from a business, business standpoint. It's been awful yeah. from a rating standpoint. It's just, yeah. It's no good matches. Not, yeah, there's a completely unmemorable reign, which sucks for a guy that you waited a decade to do something with this guy. A literal decade to do something with this guy. And this is what the end result this was. This is what this. they gave us. Yeah, and it sucks. No one's buying tickets. Nobody watches Raw. And it's because they've booked him like shit. They've booked him. He's, yeah, he has a title belt. But he's just the, the same guy on the roster that he was before. He's not even really booked any different, no, honestly. No, he's really not. He does he feel special at all? Not at all. He doesn't feel special at all. So it doesn't really matter if he loses here. You know what? You may as well just take the title. Take the title off him. Stick him back with the other two New Day guys. Throw some pancakes. It's just, what's the difference? They blew it. And and you and you don't have that first, the chance to do that for the first time again. Yeah. And now... It's like people see him as not a real world champion because of how poor this reign. Right, is. You, you can't. Like you, you said it earlier. You can't do the first time ever again, and and it yeah. always always hurts to try to go back to it. It's that that'll be and, always and, in people's minds. Is that yeah. always? Yeah. Oh, he wasn't a great champ. And it's like I know we always pick on WWE and and their fans and everything like that, but in all seriousness, they're not as dumb as you think they are. Their fans because 
they have seen so many stop-start pushes that they recognize the patterns now. And you can think of examples in recent years, whether it's Ryback or Braun Strowman, or you go right down the line, of people who the fans got behind. And then when the company pulled the rug out from under the pushes... Dolph Ziggler is probably the most prominent one that I can think of. He's another one. And then what What do the fans do? They never get behind them again. Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder. You go right down the line. There's so many. And it's like their fans are a little smarter than you think. They're conditioned to this. They know the booking patterns of this company. Oh, we tried to get behind this person. The company didn't go with it. I'm never believing in this person again. And that's the risk you run with this poor Big E title reign that did not energize the fan base at all. It energized Twitter, which is fake. Because if you just listen to Twitter, this guy's Bruno San Martino in 1970. But what does the business tell you? They can't sell a ticket, and Raw hits new record lows every week. This title reign did not energize the base. It had the opposite effect because of how poor it was laid out and how poor it was booked. And that's fucking bullshit because this is a guy that it should have been easy because everybody wanted it and they found a way to fuck it up. It's pathetic. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Uh, and then the main event, uh, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar. Um, I don't know. Well, they're going to do something with Paul Heyman. Yeah, there's going to be some weird screw jobby finish thing with Paul Heyman and, and where he ends up and who he ends up aligning with or whatnot. And, and yeah. The obvious finish is Roman and Heyman are in cahoots. And Heyman will, will look like Heyman's going to side with Lesnar, but he'll screw Lesnar. Right. And that's how Roman will retain the title. Right, because you, you're not giving – I don't think you're giving the title to Lesnar right now. I think Reigns is obviously keeping the title. And, yeah, Heyman's going to play a direct result of that. And it will – yeah, it'll, it'll be a fun match. And it'll be a cool atmosphere and a cool moment. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it'll be determined by Paul Heyman and who he aligns with. And, and I'm with you. I think he's probably going to align with Roman Reigns. And, and there's just more story to tell there uh, with Roman Reigns staying as champion of Brock Lesnar trying to avenge, you know, uh, Paul Heyman after turning on him or whatever. So, And that's how they tell their stories too. Like that's such a WWE-style story. Where it's all like, you know, Roman and Heyman being one step ahead. Um, it was funny how Paul Heyman was on SmackDown. He was like, ah, you know, I, I could find a new superstar at NXT 2.0, but it's, you know, at my age, who's he finding? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Harlan? <laughs> who's the next guy up? Like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Who are you attaching yourself to down there? Give me a break. 
Duke Hudson. Yeah, he's gonna take Duke Hudson and, and make come him... out with the poker guy. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna take poker guy and make him the next big thing. Yeah, but yeah, uh, nice, yeah. nice, nice thing to say. But uh, yeah, um, name names, Paul. Who is it? <laughs> you know. But leave it to Paul Heyman to work that in. I mean, for sure. Oh yeah, because he's a smart guy. But yeah, well, I, I'm guessing he has been watching was... a lot of NXT 2.0 lately because. Uh, don't think he'd uh, find many people that he thinks he can attach himself to as, as the next I, big stars. So, Trick Williams, that'd be my guy. I find a way. If Trick Williams can work, man, they might have something with Trick Williams. But you love Trick Williams, man. I'm a bit. Listen, listen. It's 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 really getting in on the ground floor because we have no idea if he could even wrestle. Chances are he can't because they never let him actually <laughs> wrestle. Um, but I mean, it's it, just in terms of look. And he has that thing you can't teach where he just jumps off the screen. For sure, for sure. You know, but he could be a shit bum. I don't know. But like everybody else on NXT 2.0, he's probably not even close to ready for TV and and everything else. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that that's one guy that, you know, and I obviously I'm sure Heyman would love to get his hands on Braun Breakhart in 1996. Oh, God, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And figure out how to do something with that guy. But, um, hey, Grayson Wallar was on Raw. This yeah, he week. was. Yeah. Because everybody has COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a result of so. nobody being able to show up. But, uh, yeah, it's still a pretty big spot for him. That's good. I think there's something there with Wallar. I do. I think is, he's like, awesome. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. He's got a lot going for him. The problem is you have no confidence in the company pushing anyone properly. No, so why why even bother anymore? Why even do the, the game of, oh, this guy's going to be there? There's no point in doing that right. anymore. We're, we're past there that really point. Is so. no point. Yeah, no we're point. in a post-star era in, in, in WWE, so there's just no yeah, point. He's going to get pies thrown in his face, and he's going to quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, that's, the, that's the cycle. <laughs> right. You know? But uh, – there's your day one. Will any of those matches happen, or are they all going to have COVID? Uh, yeah, I got, well, no. So what they've done is, I don't know if you've uh, been following, what they did is they basically took all these people off, like all the major, I mean, there's probably some undercard stuff that's going to get changed or moved around, but all the major people, your Seth Rollins, your Kevin Owens, your Lashley's, your Big E's, your Reigns, your Lesnar's, have been taken off of all the shows and basically put in sort of a weird isolation of just don't do anything and please, dear God, show up on January 1st and don't have COVID type of thing. And right. unless you're symptomatic, don't get tested because we don't want to know if you have COVID anyway. So you're showing up to the show and the show's going to happen. So we'll see about the, some of the undercard matches uh, and if things are going to move around there. But as far as the major, major pushed uh, matches, those, uh, it appear, will all be, uh, all be happening. Well, I did see for Raw all the suits stayed home and they had Chief J. Strongbow and Tony Gurria running the show. <laughs> so... That was... Yeah, Pat Patterson and Tony Gurria. So, uh, it was a... I mean, I'm not far off, right? Didn't they have like... Um, I think it was, uh, yeah, who was running the show? I forget. There was a name that I was like, holy shit, all right. Like, I think it was Johnny Ace and... Um, uh, Ed Kosky, right? Wasn't the name Ed Kosky? Yeah, yeah no, Ed Kosky. Yeah, he's been around there forever. I didn't even realize he was still... Born. I had no idea Ed Kosky was still there. I had to look up his LinkedIn to make sure that he hadn't left and come back recently, but apparently he's been there the whole time, because that's a name from, like, you know, 1999 Observers. It's like, Ed Kosky uh, gave The Rock a recent uh, angle. <laughs> it's like, clearly The Rock being pissed off about something he got and telling Dave about it. And then, like, it's like the uh, writers the- at WWE, including Ed Kosky, have been you know, pitching some rather interesting ideas for The Rock lately. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Dave Lagana era. Like, you, you really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, back. yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear on all those, like, when there was that whole uh, cottage industry of, like, the ex WWE writers do a podcast. Yeah, uh, thing you that Ed Kosky, you heard his name constantly. Yeah, the uh, 
very early in the podcast era, like dial-up podcasts. Every time one of those guys would get fired. Yeah, your Alex Greenfield, your Court Bowers, your Dave Laganas, your yep. yeah, every single one of them would, would have a podcast. That was the crew. Your, your oh, yeah, Jensen Carps of the world, yeah. <laughs> He was the, he was he was a big guy in 2021, right? He wasn't the he was the the shrimp the shrimp and the uh, cinnamon toast crunch guy, wasn't that Jensen you Carp? Just, you just dropped a Jensen Carp on everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. he was a big he was a big deal in 2021. He, uh, yeah, one of, he one of the lead the, stories in 2021 was the uh, the shrimp and the cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, he planted the shrimp tail in the cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> I looked; he has not reappeared on on social media. He is he is gone. He's disappeared. Yeah, he I don't, I don't know what off. Jensen Carp is doing these days, but Joe Lanza and Jensen Carp run off, run off the social media. Oh, so was it actually found that he that was a plant? The uh... I, I think people think he planted the the, the okay. shrimp tail. All right, well, it was like a fried shrimp tail too. Like, like how would that? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Doesn't he fuck Topanga? Uh, he's married to her, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming yeah. they fuck, yeah. Which is, I was I was gonna make fun of him, and then I realized he's married to Topanga, so. Well, that's your lane. Like Topanga is your yeah. age oh, group. Sure. Yeah. That's the one you all like jerked off to to the first time was Topanga, like your age group. Like I was a little too old for to think to be into Topanga. You know what I mean? Like that's that's your lane though. That's like right Yeah, there. you were like twenty when she was fourteen, so you couldn't quite but yeah, I was fourteen when she was fourteen, so it definitely uh, it worked out pretty well. So Yeah, my generation was more like Kelly Kapowski and, and the, the Saved by the Bell Broads. Tiffany Lisa Amber, Turtle. Lisa, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lisa Turtle. Oh, oh, Rich, big reaction <laughs> to the Lisa Turtle. I, well, yeah, then, not not necessarily now, not not so much now, but uh, big Lisa Turtle fan. Why? I wouldn't even know what she looks like. How do you know what she looks oh, like? Oh, don't, 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 don't. I'm telling you, don't. Leave the memories alone. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Promise. Not okay, good. I'll do that. Not good. I'll leave the memories yeah, alone. Leave the memories alone. Um. All right. How's uh? How's uh? Big Bird doing? The big one. What's her name? Uh. The one from Showgirls. I have no idea what uh, you're talking about. From, no, the, the, yeah, the other Saved by the Bell girl, the one that was like six feet tall. Uh, 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 oh, Elizabeth the, Berkley? Yeah, Elizabeth, how's she doing these uh, Oh, yeah, she was on the new uh, Saved by the Bell. She's still, she's still hot. She's still hot? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. She's still making it work. Yeah. That episode where she was doing the poppers, remember? She oh, yeah, the, uh, right. Yeah, she was. <laughs> yeah. Studying for the big exam, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole straight A student thing, you know, chill out, get the B minus. It's not that big a deal. Like you think it is in real time, and then like yeah, it's like high school. It's completely irrelevant. Yeah, you look back on it and you're like, why did I fucking care so much? Like it it really didn't fucking matter. Like you know, but uh, that was a very special. She was doing poppers, doing speed, so she could uh, pass AP chemistry or whatever. So that's (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it was. Um. Yeah, so that was more my. Yeah, she's era. the uh, she's the principal in the uh, in the in the new Say by the Bell. Oh, on, on the Peacock, if you want. So, so she did all those drugs to become a high school principal, basically. Correct. Yes, at, at her at the high school she went to. That's yeah. See, that's what we're exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> right? Yeah, minus. it's just the B minus would have been fine. Trust yeah. me, Slater is also works at that school and he's doing just fine. He's the coach. He's 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 pretty much doing fine just by being Slater. You know what I mean? Like. Mario Lopez really on that show too? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. This is what they're doing now, huh? Oh yeah. It's um not great. 
See, Elizabeth Berkeley, I can I, look. She's probably starving for work. Yeah, I was Mario, and I had the exact same thought when I was watching it with the nurse. I was like, you know, Mario doesn't need to do this. Like Mario has done other stuff. He does do other stuff. He's he's still working like regularly. I don't know why he's doing this. I get why the others are doing it. I I don't know why Mario's doing this. Because he gets like hosting gigs. Yeah, yeah, he hosts like Access Hollywood or one of those dumb shows. I forget which one it is, but yeah, he still host one of those. I think so. I thought he did, but yeah, he uh, but he's always doing something. Right, but I guess it's real easy work, right? Oh yeah, he goes yeah. If you watch this this reboot, which I would not recommend, but uh, if you watch this, yeah, he, he it's it's easy work for Mario. So I'm sure he was perfectly fine, you know, cashing those checks and saying, yeah, sure, I'll I'll come on to the show. So, well, did Topanga show up in Girl Meets World or whatever that was? Uh, you're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. I, I think, think so. The, I think she did. I think the Wokes got mad at that show. There was some kind of story where they didn't handle something right, and mm. I think the I uh, I think that, <laughs> the folks didn't like it. All right, no, nah, no, nah, there's something going on with that in that regard. But uh, I'm sure they all popped up on it, right? Because isn't it supposed to be their kids? Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be their kids. So at least they show up in the first episode or something. But it should they should be in every episode if they're their kids. So yeah, I don't oh. know. Someone in the chat room is saying Zach Morris is the governor. of Yeah. California. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So Zach does better than all of them. Yeah, and he and he had the worst grades. <laughs> right. Did they uh, kill Screech like he's dead in real life? Uh, I, I forget it what they did. They because uh, they didn't like him anyway. Like, no, they don't life. mention Screech, and, and and Lisa also does not show up on that show. So, oh, Lark Voorhees is yes, a no, Lark Voorhees is not on that no? show either. So, all right, uh, either uninvited or or not interested. I, I assume uninvited, given. I'm sure she'd be interested. I mean, yes. What else is yeah, she doing? Yeah, no, she's she's had a rough go in recent years. So. You know, you're making me Google this now. Nah, you, you don't want to. It's it's things aren't going well in her life. So she has like real like mental health issues and stuff. So I just care what she looks like. Uh, you don't. Uh, okay, that's you've what been, I'm curious. You've been warned. You can go look if you want. I'm not her psychiatrist, Rich. I don't. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just telling you. Beware. I'm not concerned with her. You know. Um. You know what? I'm going to do this. I have to. I have to see now because you've set it up. Let's see, Lark. I mean, it's fine. She's she just like looks very different than she used to look. Twenty twenty one. It's actually not too bad. I, I I I take it back. There was a time when it was getting pretty bad, but I think I think she got herself cleaned up a little bit at least. Ah, she looks like Lisa Turtle twenty five years later. Yeah, right? no, there was a. If you go through the Google searches, you'll find there was a there was a period there where she was looking real. She had a, she had a rough patch. Yeah, yeah, patch. yeah, yeah. I guess she, I guess she looks okay these days. I'm looking at um, some of the pictures too, so. Good for her. Yeah, Elizabeth Berkeley's looking good. Oh yeah, yeah. Say. If you want to, hey, Saved by the Bell. How tall is she? Is she six foot? I need to know this, Elizabeth Berkeley. I don't like that. She's five ten. Five ten. Mm-hmm. Too tall. Not into it. <laughs> I'm gonna pass. <laughs> gonna tell. <laughs> Kicking Elizabeth Berkeley out of bed, Jolanda. So nah, too tall. I'm not into it. It's like, you know, now you're reminding me of Charlotte. I just, no, I can't. <laughs> Not into the tall. That's fair. That's fair. I like them short. Uh, hey, well, like I'm married like. to a woman that's 5'2", so I uh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, listen. I hear you, pal. <laughs> don't worry. Absolutely. I don't think I've dated anybody that was over 5'4", so I know. Yeah. I'm with you. I get it, so. Joe likes him short. I'm trying to think of the tallest. Yeah, probably 5'4 was probably the tallest person I ever dated, so. I'll go to like five eight. Yeah, I, 
that's my I, I don't, once it gets to the double digits like 510 511 I'm not interested anymore. I'm a little scared. I'm out. I'm not scared. It just you know, you like what you like. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. All right. So we, we we should talk about Wrestle Kingdom at some point, right? Is that next on the sheet? It is next on the sheet. I think uh right. we I think we I I I think we're going to have to do an overrun on the show. What do you think about that? Oh, you want to go overrun? I think we're going to have to do an overrun because I think we have a half an hour left. We haven't started Wrestle Kingdom. We still have Final Gate. Uh, we got to talk about Zero One Happy New Year. We got to talk about Noah the New Year. We have to talk about the rest of all. So I think uh, I think we're going to have to do. We don't. I mean, we don't have to talk about Zero One or the rest of all. But uh, we haven't done an overrun in a while. Let's do it. Yeah, overrun. let's do it. So by the way, if you are listening, don't change. If you're listening live right now, you are good. Stay here. We are not going anywhere. We will come. Uh, we will do the overrun on this live feed. If you are listening elsewhere, if you're listening on podcast feed, if you're listening on the free feed, when the show ends, the show will end, and then we'll do the other part of the show on the overrun, patreon.com slash wrestling, voicesofwrestling.com slash patreon, flagshippatreon.com as well, $5 tier, uh, you'll hear those last things. I believe Final Gate and uh, Zero One, Noah, and Restival will all be on uh, the, the overrun. So Whatever we don't get to here. Right. Now, I'm imagining 30 minutes will get us through Wrestle Kingdom, so we'll see what ends up happening, though. If you're listening live, we're going to end the show and do the closing greeting and everything, but just But stay. Don't, don't leave. Yeah, just stay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we might take a piss break or something, but just stay. If you want to hear the overrun live, you can listen to it live. So. There you go. All right. So, uh, Joe, there I used to be a... just, I, I did just pee into this empty <laughs> You didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> I did it while we were talking about Lark Voorhees. So, um, anyway, let's see what we can get to here in the final, uh, what Home do we stretch got, half here. hour? Final half hour, yeah. So, uh, there used to be a time many years ago, in uh, aka two years ago, uh, where Wrestle Kingdom, the preview for Wrestle Kingdom used to take up all three hours. Do you remember that, Joe? All three hours of the show was Wrestle Kingdom. That's it. It's true. All we would do, we would sit, we would get there, and I would say, Joe, what do you want to talk about? And you said, there's nothing, Wrestle Kingdom's in three days. There's nothing else to talk about. Right. And we would just preview every single match in excruciating detail. Um, we now have a half an hour to do nights one and two, and I think that will be more than enough. Well, you are an official New Japan hater, as they like to say, on the streets. Um, so listen, I, you know, it's unfortunate. I would love to do three hours on the Wrestle Kingdom, but. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, okay. you, the... Me, yeah, me, me and me alone. But, uh, no, it's, you know, I, seriously though, it is the buzz for Wrestle Kingdom is, I mean, it is not zero. Man, Subterranean. It's, low. It's, it's uh... low. it's just, it's, man, it sucks. It just sucks. Cause like. Yeah, like you said, it used to be three hours of the show. We would just preview Wrestle. That was it. That's all we we're gonna do is preview Wrestle Kingdom. And and people would ask, when are you previewing Wrestle Kingdom? When's the pre- when's the Wrestle Kingdom preview episode coming? Some of our best, most listened to episodes still to this day were Wrestle Kingdom previews back in the day. Yes. We'd have people fighting over previewing Wrestle Kingdom for the website. We'd have people fighting over reviewing Wrestle Kingdom for the website. Also true. It's just oh man, it's it's where we've gotten to in in, in two years. I mean, there was never even an idea that we were going to lead the show off with Wrestle Kingdom. And I, I don't mean to be mean, but it's like, you know, and people can paint this as like, I'm not saying you can't enjoy New Japan anymore. I'm not saying you can't get excited for Wrestle Kingdom. You actually should be. But like, I'm just letting you know, the people that listen to the show, the people that go to our website, the people that follow us on Twitter, the people that are in our Discord, like, those people are not that interested. That's all I'm telling you, you know? Well, 
it's been pushed to the tail end of the third hour. Did you ever think there'd be no, a day? No, never. Let alone, you know, the full three hours. And usually we'd use this show to plug our upcoming ebook, and that's not happening this year either, so. No ebook. No ebook. That's been nice, I gotta be honest. Ah, it's been real nice. <laughs> it's been real <laughs> it's been nice. nice. It's been nice. Because right now I'd be just a nervous um, fucking wreck. I'd be texting you and saying, Joe, come on, you gotta give me the, you know. I would have written nothing yet. <laughs> right, I mean, everybody else would be done. Yeah. And Joe, you'd be like, ah, I'll get to it. And I'm like, you you don't understand how much work it takes after you're done writing for me to do this book. So can you please write it? And you'd say, ah, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on, it. <laughs> right. working on the, 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 the profile for, I'm trying to think of who the most random person to appear in a New Japan ring this year was. And, you know. Well, it's been the same 12 guys on every show. Yeah, so, so it actually it might have been an easier book this year, for sure. But... Actually, it would have been a mess with all the New Japan strong people. Oh, God, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I work better closer to the deadline. You do. The problem is, your deadline is different than my deadline. You're, you would think, when's the book coming out? And I would say, uh, the second. You go, okay, I got time. And I say, no, 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 Joe. Like, it still takes me, like, three days after you're done with your work to do all the other work. That needs done with the book. You'd be like, ah, we got time. We got time. We got time. I was like, no, we don't. We don't have time. It's making me, we're not even doing it a book and I'm nervous and mad at you right now. <laughs> we got it done. You know, at the end of the day, we got the goddamn book done every single year. So, yeah, the fuck this and yeah, they're all out there. They're still for sale, by the way. Yeah. We should win the book of the year this year in the Observer. Hopefully we do, but uh, this will chance. be the last hurrah. This will be it. So, we're not going to win it. We're not Didn't going a to. huge book come out? Yeah. The, um, young, the Young Bucks book? Yes. No, that one last year. Oh, did it? Okay. There was another one, though. I forgot what came out this year. Well, Dave has all these books coming out. That, that you just oh, those dumb Observer server. ones. Oh, those shouldn't be eligible. They they're shouldn't. Just, they're reprints of the Observer. Get out of here. There was another big-time book that came out, though. I can't think of what it was. The oh, the is, Moxley. Moxley book. Moxley. We're dead. Fuck. Yeah, we're dead. We're dead. Well, congratulations to John Moxley. Former uh, former forward uh, writer for the... Uh, ebook as well it would be the same year it's 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 his forward same against year. his book so moxley versus moxley yeah i think i think mox is gonna win unfortunately wrote a good forward too yeah he did he's like ah, do you guys uh you, you cover noah <laughs> the emails were great <laughs> you cover noah and shit yeah we cover everything oh yeah all right uh, you know just wondering if you guys like cover everything or if you're uh you know is that a good Moxley or is it was a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and that's the emails were 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 written to me in like Moxley speak. Yes, like if you read them, you're like, yeah, that John Moxley sent me this email. That is definitely yeah. John Moxley. There was no doubt that it was you know John Moxley sending me these emails. So yeah, that was. Uh... Is it just New Japan or you know <laughs> Noah and shit? Like you do right. everything. Like yeah, yeah, we cover everything, John. Yeah, all all of it. You know, so, yeah, it was very, it, it's like, it, it was, the emails were written, and the emails were written just like the book is written. Like, it's it's obvious. No yes, like no punctuation, it. no capitalization, just like, no. I, I, there was one email exchange where he's like, oh, how much, how long do I have to write this thing? And I'm like, yeah, we, anytime in the next two weeks. And he goes, okay, cool. I'll get it to sometime, uh, sometime soon. I went, okay, yeah, sounds great. 45 minutes later, there's the <laughs> there it is, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, all right, whatever. He's like, all right, cool. I'll get it to you when I get it to you. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. No rush, man. We have like two weeks. And he's like, all right, cool. 45 minutes later, there's the whole forward. And we tightened it up a little. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We tightened it up a little. Still his voice. 
still his voice, but uh, yeah, had to, had to tighten the screws a bit on it. But uh, you know, he was happy to do it, and he and, and he and he did a nice job. But uh, yeah, we're gonna get murdered. I mean, we have no chance. We're gonna get slaughtered again because that book is definitely winning. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know. I haven't read it. I've only read a couple snippets. I've just seen the experts of it, yeah, and they, uh, it seems pretty good. It seems like a pretty fun book, so. Yeah. My laptop's doing some funny things. We better get this show on the road. Oh, all right. There we go. This is uh, – I just got this fucking thing less than a year ago. What is going on with this laptop? This is not good. Well, it I'll just tell you, just these first, the first email correspondence is, yo, period, just send me an example of one of them. Yes. Now, listen <laughs> – I like doing business that way. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Do you guys cover just New Japan or like Noah and other promotions too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, yeah, everybody who wrote forwards did a nice job. Everyone who wrote forwards. Yeah, Lance uh, Archer, Kevin Kelly. Cody. Cody. We're name dropping now. Mm-hmm. Um, who's who? A, a, ver- a literal cornucopia of uh, New Japan stars. Um, we only got turned down a couple times. We won't name those people. Yeah, no. We're not going to name Zack Sabre Jr. or anything like that. So. No. No need to name if that would have been Although he he, he, he denied us in the, in, in the perfect, nicest way possible. True. I think it was the, the quote that was forwarded over was, eh, not my thing, mate. But thanks anyway. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right, yeah. I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's fine. Like, like he didn't say no. He just said, eh, not my thing, mate. <laughs> we are like, all right, yeah. Yes. Yes. There was uh, probably a much more British phrase put in somewhere other than mates. It was some, somewhere in there. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Anyway. All kinds of British verbiage. <laughs> right. The words I don't understand and verbiage I don't understand. So Right before a big bite of beans on toast. <laughs> right before. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe he would do the grapple pod at New Japan. Universe. He might, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, that'd be more his thing. Yeah, mate. we weren't his thing mates uh, for this one. Yeah. But uh, all right, let's let's get to this. New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom night one and night two. Uh, night three we're going to cover next week because that's the New Japan versus Noah thing, uh, and then we got some time for that as well because that's not might have some hot scoops for that. Yeah, one. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what goes on with that. But that's on the eighth. But uh, night one, January fourth, we got the Rambo uh, winner winner challenges for the KOPW twenty twenty two trophy. Uh, on night two, I kind of just wish it was the old Rambos and it was just for nothing, but um, or just a, a large oversized check. But uh, instead, it's for the KOP uh, W. Rich, if I let a listener guess the Noah wrestler that I had as a source for some information this week, nobody would ever get it. It would take how many get? Would it be the last guy on the? I don't know if it'd be the last, but it'd be pretty damn close to the last for sure. A lot of loose lips in the wrestling business. You'd be surprised. Yeah, you're very strange why these people talk. It's yeah. Like... Wrestlers, it's, uh, I forget what uh, Conrad Thompson has a, has a phrase for it. I think it's telephone, tele-wrestler or something like that. Or, Let know. me ask you a question. Would you like to observe a conversation between me and that man? Uh, yes. Yes, I would. I'd like to sit down over, uh, you know, a... him sipping a sake, you sipping a, a, a Coke, Coke Z. Z. Yeah. Just chopping it up with. Steakhouse, maybe at a yeah, Japanese steakhouse, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah, shooting the shit with that guy, Joe Lanza, <laughs> and, and that guy. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Well, maybe we'll make it happen one of these days. So. Never know. 
All right, so you got the Rambo. Um, it's a Rambo. Uh, Yo versus Show. Hey, hot feud. Rapongi 3K not, explodes. Yeah. At least they're not challenging for the junior titles. That's true. Yeah, at least, yeah, there's something different for the first time in seven years for Rapongi 3K. Uh, so that's good. Uh, Tanahashi and the Mega Coaches, Taguchi and Romero versus uh, Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and El Fantasmo. So Kenta faces Tanahashi the next night. Yep. And the other guys are in the junior tag title match. So uh, you're basically getting Road to Wrestle Kingdom on the first half of the actual Wrestle Kingdom. Here. Yep. And you're going to get that again uh, with this one, too, because you have Naito, Sonata, and Bushi versus the United Empire, Will, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb. Um, so Cobb and Naito facing each other the next day, Sonata and so, Okan so facing is, each other the so next is, day, and then Will and Bushi because they needed the third guy. So did Will is, is Will Ospreay flying to Japan to work a six-man tag and a singles match, and then he's flying home because he's not on the Noah show? I, ask your guy, Joe. I don't know. Makes no so, sense to me. I mean, you would think that he's losing the next night. I mean, I think Okada is going to win both matches. There seems to be a groundswell of people who think Shingo is going to run the table here. I haven't seen anybody pick Will to win the match on night two and be the guy standing tall at the end of it all. I think that's the least likely outcome. I agree. But it's kind of weird that they bring him in just for these two shots. Yeah, he feels like a complete like non-factor in like the domestic product right now. And it seems like the best way to keep him around is to, you know, keep him around and have him on that Noah New Japan show. But yeah, it feels like he's like, it feels like he's a special guest of these shows. And then he just goes back to his home territory or whatever. And I guess he's kind of doing that, but it's very, very, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny though, because he was trying to build a match with Marafuji on Twitter. And obviously that's not happening either singles or tag. So um, is there anybody not on that Noah show that they could presumably like, let's say in, in a scenario that will does win the title. Is there a way that they can announce will versus wrestler X, you know, there's no way, right? Like I'm trying to think that's of who not the way they do things. No, that's not, it, it's, no, it's not. So that's, that's yeah, it, it would make no sense to do that. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out a, a scenario that like makes sense because it just doesn't make sense for him to fly in for these shows and then bounce and not be on those other shows. None of the United empire is on those shows. But there's nobody left on the Noah roster that you could say, oh, you know, they're holding off X, Y, and Z because they're going to have them against the United Empire. I mean, they're they're all there, right? All the guys no, are everybody, there. Everybody's booked. So, I don't know, man. Eh, well. It's weird. I guess we'll find out. We'll have some more clarity on, on January 5th, I guess. Uh, I said I did the LIJ one. Catch Wrestling Rules. A little bit of a disappointment here. Shibata making his return, but it is in Catch Wrestling Rules versus uh to be announced the very dangerous to be announced well i have a theory here i think this is all an angle i think that um i think that this is setting up somebody striking him in the head and getting a lot of heat for doing so that's what i think this is the catch wrestling rules because if he wasn't cleared and they were doing another exhibition they would label it as such they're labeling this as catch wrestling rules and they're saying it's grappling and all that. And they're just saying no strikes allowed. To me, that's a giant red flag that someone's going to strike. Like, I don't know if it'll be this mystery opponent that kicks him in the head or whatever. But I think either they do that here or they do it in another match. But I, I don't think – I mean, if he's going to take bumps, that's no different than taking a forearm to the neck. I mean, it, it's – so to me, this is not – 
he's not cleared, this is angle alert. Okay, and- yeah, and I hope so, because the way you say it, I mean, that does sound better. At first, I didn't think of that theory, and then when I saw people mentioning that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Like, I kind of hope that that is what it is, because if you want this, it, it didn't, it, at no other point in this comeback did it feel like we were kind of half-assing the comeback, and then it felt like we were half-assing it. So, yeah, like he's saying, hopefully that is sort of a, a um, you know, a weird way to, to, to uh you know, work it out and, and, and get some heat on whoever on it is. Yeah, yeah. Whoever that to be announces, which is also strange, too, that we still don't know who it is because, I mean, are you putting heat on a Kotobushi? Because that was somebody you theorized a couple weeks ago that that TBA could be Kotobushi, but... Okay, so I think it originally was supposed to be Kotobushi, but he wasn't cleared. Because I do know now, for sure, through a wrestler on the show that Wrestle Kingdom Night 3, the original pitch, the original plan was, um, I'm look, let me find the show. The original plan for that big tag was going to be, where the hell is the show? It was going to be, do you have that listed on here? I don't have it listed on, the, on our doc. No, it's not on our doc. Uh, okay. It was Okada. It was supposed to be Okada, Tanahashi, and Kota Ibushi. Versus Muta or Muto, Kiyomiya, and Goshiozaki. Abushi didn't get cleared, so they bumped Shiozaki from the match, and it's a two on two tag. But what they originally wanted to do was a six man tag. And that is new information that I didn't have before from the New Japan guy, but that I got from the Noah guy that, that you know, the conversation last week with the Noah guy. But Abushi wasn't cleared. So all of these shows were announced around the same period of time. So I'm thinking they wanted to do Abushi versus Shibata, but Abushi didn't get cleared, and now that's why it's a TBA. And right. It all makes okay. sense yeah, yeah. because Abushi got pulled from the planned six-man tag, which isn't the main event right now for the Noah Wrestle Kingdom show, but I think ultimately it's going to end up being the main event. I think the only reason they can't say it's the main event now because Shingo is still the champion and they don't want to. So they're saying Shingo is the main event. You understand what I'm saying? Got it. But yeah. I think when Shingo loses the title, I think Shingo is going to lose the title. And I think Okada is going to come out of the Wrestle Kingdom with the title. And I think that, that 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 tag is clearly the real main event. Okada and Tanahashi versus Muto and Kiyomiya. I think everybody recognizes that. But because Shingo is still champion, they have to build that as the main event. You know, especially since Nakajima is in the match too. So, um, but at any rate, the point here is Ibushi was supposed to be in that, but he hasn't been cleared. So I, I, my theory is that he was going to be Shibata's opponent. Now what are they going to do? I mean, you have Minoru Suzuki right there who has nothing else going on. So why not just do Minoru Suzuki? That's the biggest match you can do, right? You'd like to do Kenta, but he's already in a match. Right, right. Kenta would be the one to get that heat on him. But I guess, yeah, Suzuki is a weird one to get the heat on. But I guess if you want to fire him up for a, a couple-month run or whatever, yeah, you can you can do that. I mean, you can always use Minoru Suzuki. But they have felt like they downcycled him a lot over the last couple of years. So, I, I don't know. It'd be strange. Kenta seems like the perfect one to do it. But, yeah, obviously, he's 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 already in something else. So Yeah, I mean, eventually you have to do a Kenta match. But the thing about the catch wrestling rules... We've seen Shibata take bumps. We've seen Shibata take strikes to the head. He took the drop kick in the corner from Kenta. 
Or was it? Or did he give it? He to gave. He gave. Him? He gave the the drop kick, but he landed on his the back of his head after giving the drop kick. So. Yeah, he's taking bumps. I mean, you know, long before he was cleared. So, you know, if he's cleared now, there's and he's gonna take bumps. Then, you know, look, I, I think they'll work carefully with him, but I, I don't know. I feel like people think this is kind of a bait and switch, and he's just gonna do another exhibition match. I think it's setting up, um putting heat on somebody that's, yeah, a, that's i hope so i hope so because that sounds a lot better than than you know another catch wrestling match and, and kind of a half-hearted return uh for shibata but but the we'll other see. one the, the, the saber match was called and they label they, they they called that an exhibition match mm-hmm, they didn't call mm-hmm. it so they're they're labeling this different they're saying he's back and they're saying the stipulation is catch wrestling rules which to me is he wants to have a fair you know fight with somebody and i think it's going to be a heel who fucking punches him in the face or kicks him in the head or something anyway that's that's my theory uh never open weight title tomohiro ishii finally getting his wrestle kingdom match against evil unbelievable yeah. they finally give this guy a wrestle kingdom singles match <laughs> and this is what they give us it's evil so uh yeah dick togo garot wires uh in our in our future here so can't wait. Who, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's whatever. Yeah, it's evil. I don't know. Evil, evil will win, obviously. And um, I guess if evil wins, it keeps him out of the main event mix. I guess that's a way to look at it. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> I guess if the lowest of bars that we're trying to clear here, yes, it will keep him out of the main event mix. So I guess that's good. Uh, IWGP Tag Team Titles: Dangerous Techers versus Hiroki Goto. And Yoshihashi. It's a big spot for Goto and Yoshihashi. I'm excited. Hey, look, I thought LIJ were going to win Tag League and we were going to get some combination of um, LIJ with Techers again. So I'd rather have this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is awesome. Uh, Desperado versus Hiromu Takahashi for the junior heavyweight title. I mean... Bet the fucking house on Hiromu Takahashi, I will tell you that. I don't know what the odds are of anybody taking action on Wrestle Kingdom, but I would uh, put a lot of money on Hiromu Takahashi to uh, be defeating one El Desperado. On, uh, I mean, it should be a really great match. I it mean, should be great. Two guys, yeah. they're both crazy. and They wrestle like that... maniacs. There's a great background on them. Uh, uh, article up at VoicesOfWrestling.com by Jay Michael talking about the entire background of those guys and the run through the best of the Super Juniors leading to this match. I mean, these guys are absolute nutcases. So, you know, at one time I wanted them in the same block of super juniors because I wanted to see them wrestle each other and they were just denying us that match for a really long time. So now we get it at a wrestle kingdom. And I think, you know, it's just every time I see a match I like on these shows, I'm like, ah, fucking clap crowd, mm-hmm. 5,000 people clap crowd. And it just sucks all the enthusiasm out of me. Like the match you're about to say. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Shingo Takagi versus Okada, IWGP World Heavyweight title match here. Shingo Takagi defending the title against Okada. Okada, obviously the winner of the G1. He's carrying around the old title. Shingo Takagi carrying around the new-ish title. And uh, yeah, they're going head-to-head. I am pretty much locked in on Okada winning this. I guess I could be somewhat surprised, but I think it, it, it all signs to me point to Okada leaving this uh these first two nights a, a, as the champion but uh, i'll be, I'll be I, you want to convince me other elsewise or i don't i think how can you not have okada on the second night that's i mean so i think they're doing okada sweeping through both matches it'd be really weird to have night two and have okada not be on the show so and shingo had his little run 
It's just, look, we, we're tired of the title turmoil bullshit every year, so we'll just leave that aside. We've ranted about that many times, so we can save that. But if these were full domes with fans that could cheer and a non-COVID world, we'd be really excited about Shingo versus Okada and then either of those guys versus Will Ospreay because those are both going to be really great matches. But again, my enthusiasm just isn't there not even so much because I'm down on New Japan. I'm just down on on COVID. Yeah, and it's I'm just yeah. The clap crowds are, are they just suck the energy out of anything. It, yep. it, and and there was a time where you could tolerate it. There was a time when you're like, hey, look, there's no other option. There's nothing else to do. It's fine. I get it. I understand. But it's 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 a tough watch. It, it's it's hard in every company. It's made Japanese wrestling for me in 2021. I'm just I'm down on all of it. Even though some of it's been really good and there's been things that I've really liked, but. Just ultimately, I'm just kind of, I, I have this weird disappointment with it all because it's just, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how, there's always a ceiling on how good something's going to be, I, in my mind. And some people say, oh, no, no, that's not true. That's right. Okay, I don't care what you think. I'm telling you what I think. It's down for me. I, my enjoyment of it is down. I, I love when I say this and people say, what are you talking about? Some of the best matches ever happened in the last two years. Okay, good, great. Maybe to you, but like, I like hot Japanese wrestling crowds. I like, you know, Shingo kicking out of a fucking Rainmaker and the crowd going nuts. Like, I like that stuff. Sorry. Kill me. You know? Jesus. I don't like fast clapping. <laughs> I like noise. <laughs> I, the hot take, apparently, <laughs> on some it circles. It sucks so. the enthusiasm right out of me. Yeah. I just, it's hard. Uh, night two, we uh, got the junior heavyweight tag team titles, Flying Tiger, the uh, Tiger Mask Robbie Eagles uh, uh, unit here, uh, against Taiji Shimori, El Fantasmo, and Ryusuke Taguchi, and Rocky Romero. Well, you know, I wish it was in the three-way. Just uh, pick a team. I know. Why it's we have yeah, to do this? Yeah, I don't know. You classic, know, it's, yeah, it's... Classic, <laughs> classic undercard. That's, they love that. Yeah. I don't know why they love it, but they love it. Uh, we have a stardom offer match here. Mayu Utani, Starlight Kid. Tam Nakano and Saya Kamatani. So. All right. Some good talent. I'm, I'm, the little bit of Joshi I watched, that's a lot of good talent on that match. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that works out. Uh, KOPW 2022 Trophy 4-Way Match. TBA, 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 TBA. Don't care. <laughs> well, didn't Yano win the fucking drunkard? Yeah, I think he won the drunk one. So I guess he's there. Um, so, and then the winner of the Rambo, right? Yeah. Is, is that how that works? And then. Um, I guess there's more people. To, I don't care. Don't care. Never open weight six man tag titles. Evil, Yudro, and Sho versus Roki Goto, Yoshihashi, and Yo. Yeah. Um it's 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 Goto and Yoshihashi are in two Double champions. They're gonna be double champions at the end of this night. Yeah, two title matches. So that's interesting. But House of Torture. You know what's coming, so it's hard to be excited about you know any match involving any of those guys. Uh, Sonata versus Great Okan. I can't decide if this match is going to be pretty good, pretty awesome, or just absolutely dreadful. I feel like there's almost no in-between. I feel like it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, I really like watching Okan. Um, I'm completely over Sonata. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how this is going to turn out either. This could it really could absolutely be... rock. It could absolutely rock or absolutely be the worst match. It could be 25 minutes of like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Stop. Leave the ring, please. I have a feeling that even if it's great, it's going to be the kind of match that a lot of people will hate on it, though. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think Ocon just doesn't land for some people. Um, 
so even if it's a great Ocon style of match, I feel like this match is going to be a heavily criticized match, no matter uh, no matter what. So, Naito versus Jeff Cobb. This is an interesting one, given the health of Naito. Given Jeff, like again, another match that I think could be really, really good, but I wonder if it, if if it'll suffer on being a little too long. The, the atmosphere might suck. I mean, in a classic New Japan sense, like. I would have this match be like 10 minutes and just have these guys go throw bombs at each other for 10 minutes, but they just don't do that anymore. Everything's got to be really, really long and really drawn out. But, um, I mean, maybe in a perfect world, this should be great. Maybe it won't be in the spot it's in. There's I hope. A chance. Yeah, I hope. You know, it might not be super long in that spot. But um, I thought Cobb had a tremendous year. He's much improved. Yeah, oh, he's great, yeah. And they're pushing him now. You know, he had the the great run in the G1. So he's a guy they're going to get behind. But, um, you know, maybe it won't, because of the spot it's in, maybe it won't be super long. Uh, and then the semi-main event here, you got Kenta and Tanahashi, IWGP US heavyweight title. No DQ here for Kenta versus Tanahashi, which I am very much looking forward to this match. Even even though, obviously, tempered expectations with the clap crowds, but uh, Kenta is one of the best at, at, at kind of filling in the lines these days. Uh, and Tanahashi is Tanahashi, so I, I I am looking forward to this one. I think you're better off with the shortcut in a in a 2021 Kenta match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think Tanahashi wins the title, and I think that opens things up for Kenta and Shibata to be programmed against one another in the early part of the year. Um, you have to do that match at some point if Shibata is really coming back. That match has to happen. So, and unfortunately, it's going to happen in front of clap crowds. Yeah. And then the uh, the main event, IWGP World Heavyweight title, uh, Takagi and Okada, uh, uh, the winner of that from night one. You and I both agree it's Okada versus Will Ospreay, the fly in for this, the, the special guest of Russell Kingdom, Will Ospreay here. Uh, to me, there, I mean, like you said, of the scenarios that play out, I think Okada winning both matches and leaving as the champion is number one. Uh, very distant number two is, is Shingo. And in nearly impossible number three is Will Ospreay, right? I just think it'd be really weird to have Okada lose on night one and then just not be on night two. Yeah, he's just done. He just doesn't wrestle. Yeah, that's yeah. So that that would be weird to me. Now, if you had Okada in some other match on night one and you did Takagi versus Osprey on night one with the winner facing Okada, I think I would have make a better case for Shingo, but. It, I, I I don't feel like they're just going to leave Okada off of night two. So that's primarily why I'm picking Okada to win the whole thing. Wouldn't shock me if Takata, if if uh, if they have Shingo run through both of them. Um, I would be stunned if Will Ospreay comes out as a troll heel and he spoils whoever wins the first night. That would surprise me a lot. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, it, it it would be pretty bold, but I mean, I guess they've made some pretty bold moves over the last couple of years, so I guess uh, anything is possible. But uh, yeah, I would I would put it as pretty unlikely. But you know, I've I've been kind of off base with my predictions on New Japan for the last couple of years. So and I maybe. know this, I know I know that Os, uh, Will Osprey has feuded with both of these guys, and these have been his primary opponents over the last year and a half or two years. But I think the story of Okada beating him is the better story, and it's the kind of story that Gato tells because you know they wrestled last year. And the whole thing is Okada's who Will Ospreay betrayed in the G1 two years earlier. And um, 
you know, I know Okada already got his hands on him, so to speak, but, you know, uh, now for the title a year later, and then it's it's just Gato booking. And then at some point down the line, Will Ospreay gets him. You know, I feel like Takagi and Ospreay were just like, there's no more story left to tell. Right. They've told that story many, many, many times. They've had their great matches. And those are more just two guys having great matches against each other and all that. And, and I guess I, I, I'm just, I just think the long-term Willow spray narrative is with Okada and he has to figure out a way to overcome Okada to get to Okada's level and all of that. And, And it does kind of feel like as well, and maybe my read on this is a little, you know, I'm taking my personal bias on this or whatever, but it does feel like they maybe realized that the confusing title thing was not uh, it, uh, not a win. People didn't really love it. It kind of was annoying. People aren't really lo- and Okada's whole preaching of like, hey, this you know this title, this old title, this meant everything. You know, this is this is the true title of this company. Like, I think it's a good way to kind of button up everything to have Okada have all those you know have the old title, have the new title, hold it both, and then whatever the next future of it is, it, it feels like maybe they're kind of do a, a soft reset on what they were doing before and, and realize that, okay, maybe we made some missteps in the last two years with this title and, and renaming it and redesigning it and all that sort of stuff. Again, my read on that could be completely off and maybe he embraces this new title and that's the way it goes. But to me, he seems so strong in that, like, ah, this new title stuff's kind of a joke and kind of stupid. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring everything back to the, to where it needs to be uh, and, and, and unify new Japan in the way it needs to be unified. I, that's at least my read on it. And I, again, I, I, I can't say for certain if that's exactly what they're going to do, but. I would like you know, if that's the way it goes. But Will Ospreay's only win over Okada is when Great Okan got involved at the G1. Right, right, right. So he's he has the win. He's beaten him, but he's never beaten him. And I think if the plan is to push Will Ospreay um, as one of your top guys, like then the long arc here is, you know, he'll lose to Okada here because he's the heel and he's going to get his and, and he'll have to stop carrying around this fake belt and all of that. And, and he'll get another crack at Okada down the line. You know, that Gato's story arcs are painfully slow, you know? So I don't think will will get Okada until will is no longer a heel and he goes back baby And then I think that's when he'll get Okada. So I don't know. That's what I think. Um, and I think that's what makes the most sense, but I, I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we will definitely will. But uh, yeah, that is uh, obviously the fourth and the fifth, uh, night one and night two uh, of Wrestle Kingdom 16. So we'll, we'll obviously uh, be covering that in, in audio uh, at some point over the next week or so. So we'll uh, stay tuned on, on that as far as when we're going to do it and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, and then we'll cover night three. Uh, obviously, we can preview that next week. It's not until, what, the eighth, I said. Uh, so we can preview that next week yeah. on the show and, and, and see... Uh, where we're at, I'm, I'm, I'm oddly anticipating that show, but also not. It, it's, it's very strange, yeah, how that show is going to go. I think it's going to be cool, but at the same time, I think they, they maybe left a little on the table with it. But regardless, um, all right, that is it for the flagship live. As we said, we are going to do an overrun. So if you are listening on the live feed, do not go anywhere. We are going to sign off. We might go silent for a little bit, and then we will be back uh, with the final topics of the show. If you are listening on the free podcast feed, this ends the free flagship podcast. And if you want to listen to the overrun, that'll be at patreon.com slash voices wrestling flagship, patreon.com voices wrestling.com slash Patreon, whatever way you want to do it. $5 tier. It'll be called the overrun. It'll be very easy to find. And that's where you will listen to the final uh, few minutes of the show where we cover the last topics that we did not quite get to uh, in this three hour flagship. But uh, anyway, for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci. 
We'll talk to you next time on the Flagship Podcast. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.